Friday, July the 17th. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We're going to have one of those uh, around-the-horn episodes today, but a lot of heavy on the horse racing and then heavy on some wrestling towards the end. We'll bounce around with the uh, the sports news early on. Hope everyone's uh, having a nice week, doing well. I've been in the midst of a Saved by the Bell rewatch. Very excited to hear that uh, on the Peacock, the new streaming service for NBC later on this year, they're going to have a little Saved by the Bell uh, re... not a reboot, but we're going to pick up with Zach Morris with uh, with AC Slater and uh, as older Jesse Jesse's going to be in it too so oh, that'll be a lot of fun. Let's get right into it. We're going to talk Friday Saratoga, Friday Pleasanton. We're going to do a Friday Stable Duel lineup for Monmouth, Saturday Saratoga, Saturday Monmouth, Saturday Pleasanton. We'll do a Stable Duel lineup for Saturday Monmouth. A little preview for WWE Extreme Rules coming up this weekend and then the old wrestling rewatch with Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne. We do a long one on WrestleMania 19, which was a great show. We go match by match, talk about everything that happened at WrestleMania 19 back in 2003. So, let's start out with some news in the NFL. Not a whole lot of positive news in the last few days in the NFL. Uh, first up, the news that's been really breaking and developing all throughout the day is about the owner of the Washington Redskins, uh, that is Daniel Snyder. They are going to be no longer named the Washington Redskins, which we found out in the last few days, so I guess we're just going to be calling them the Washington football team until we know what their name is. But we have now found out that Daniel Snyder has been involved in all sorts of misconduct. And mis- misconduct is probably uh, take, saying uh, taking it very lightly. Fifteen women who worked for the Washington NFL team alleged sexual harassment by former scouts and member of members of owner Dan Snyder's inner circle, the Washington Post reported on Thursday. So we are going to start finding out, I'm sure, a lot more about this story. And what makes this story interesting is because of the timing of it, right? This is all coming on the immediate heels of the decision to change the name from Redskins, which is something that Daniel Snyder said he was never going to do. And then everybody, there were some people that were saying, he seemed to really change his tune quickly because it was not even long ago where he was saying, we're never going to change, never going to change, never going to change, and then boom. There were a couple sponsors that started to threaten pulling out. Was the reasons why something to do with this? Did some of them know this was happening? And then he you know, tries to change the name and and maybe that is the the story instead of this being a story, but that's not going to happen. This this is going to absolutely be a story, and we will see soon um, even more and more um, as this story unfolds. And then J.J. Watt today tweeted out, this is the other part of the not great news for the NFL, uh, I co-host the, the Mike Abadier show. Mike Abadier, my buddy, is a... Um, sports agent and he's an agent for a lot of players in the NFL and he was saying things similar like this there is not a whole lot of uh, direction they're not really giving the players and a lot of play uh, folks involved with the league uh, ideas or they're not preparing them very well so listen this is what JJ Watt was saying here's what we know and what we don't know he said in the interest of having everyone on the same page and in terms of what we know and don't know 
Here are a few things I've learned being on four NFLPA calls in the last two weeks with hundreds of other players. Keep in mind, our rookies are scheduled to report in 48 hours. J.J. Watt tweeted this out Thursday at 11.10 a.m. We want to play. We want to be as safe as possible. We have not received a single valid IDER plan, infectious disease emergency response, from any team or the league. We don't know if there are preseason games or not. We don't know if there will be daily testing, semi-daily testing, etc. We don't know how a potential positive COVID test would affect different contracts, roster spots, etc. Nothing has been agreed upon regarding what training camp will actually look like and how the ramp-up period will work. We want to play. Now keep in mind, you look at the NBA who has the bubble, they've had plans laid out. Baseball ramped up quickly, but they had at least had some plans laid out for the steps, the process, this on this date, this on this date, this on this date. And NFL players are saying that they're not getting any of that. And we move over to, to baseball, and we're only a week away. Less than one week away, Thursday night will be the, the first baseball games. If you've been following your your team, they've been having inter-squad scrimmage games. And a lot of them are streaming them on social media or maybe even on their their networks and been watching some of the Dodger games and they've been doing some of the piped in sound and they've been having the music and the organ. And in baseball, I gotta be honest, if you have that sound with the commentators, there's some piped in sound for big plays here and there, you're not noticing the crowd on a play to play pitch to pitch basis. As much as you would in other sports, like you would in a football, you notice the crowd on every play. Basketball, you notice them on big plays. A little more than baseball, even. Baseball, you just don't notice them. So, I don't mind the piped-in sound. It's better than nothing. Just one week, less than one week away for baseball. Fingers crossed. NBA. Eric Bledsoe for the Bucks test positive. Now we're getting closer and closer to games, so a lot of these players that are testing positive, if they have to go through quarantine and then ramp back up, you know, practice and getting back into some sort of shape, they may be behind it and and they could start to affect some of these teams like Zion who had to leave the bubble. And prior to leaving the bubble, Zion was having some cramps and had to be pulled out of practice a little bit. This is what a lot of players were worried about. You go from, even if you're training hard on your own, there's nothing like getting back to playing in contact situations or in you know full live scrimmage type situations or in practice against other high-level, high-quality, world-class players. Kimball Walker for the Celtics He's still a little frustrated because he's had some lingering knee issues So as the Celtics get ready And they're ramping back up A not 100% Kemba Really hurts their chances to To make a deep run in the playoffs Or to to upset Maybe a, a, a Bucks team Or a, perhaps even a Toronto team We'll continue to Pass along any NBA news Monitor any players that are testing positive hey, That are perhaps getting injured Or anything in the ramp up And then hopefully soon enough We'll 
get to the point where in baseball and in basketball we're just going to be previewing and recapping games. Oh, that'd be so nice again to have uh, some actual live sports to be able to discuss. It's been a lot of horse racing and been very nice that horse racing has still continued on, but uh, even in, um, unfortunately this weekend there's no Del Mar. They had to cancel because a lot of the jockeys tested positive for coronavirus. So baseball, basketball back on the way. Sports fans, there is a new DFS app for prop bets. It's called Thrive Fantasy. Go go download the app right now, Thrive Fantasy. Remember the promo code Gino, G-I-N-O. That's the, the promo code right now for all of uh, the sponsors that we have. So Thrive Fantasy DFS app for prop bets. They have changed the drafting process. So you build your lineup now around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you're going to be choosing 10 of the, the prop bets, and then you, you pick a couple in case of emergency picks. Each prop has an over or under point value assigned to it. Example, will Tom Brady throw for over or under 250 yards? If he goes over, you'll get 100 points. If he goes under, you get 80 points. That's how you pick your props, and that's how you select your lineup. They have contests where you can play in head-to-head competitions, you can play in small groups, or contests where you're playing for hundreds and thousands of dollars in prizes. You can get involved in their free rolls. They have contests sometimes for $2, $5, and then all the way up to $20, $50, $100 to get involved in. Remember the promo code GINO. When you deposit $10, you'll get an instant $10 bonus. Go give it a try. It's a new DFS app. If you like Daily Fantasy, if you tried a bunch of different sites, this one just has a different tweak to it. Give it a try. Thrive Fantasy promo code GINO will get you an instant $10 bonus. So if you just deposit Deposit 10, you'll get 20 bucks right there. You can mess around, try a couple different contests, see if you like it. Thrive Fantasy, promo code G-I-N-O. Boxing Friday, horse racing. Let's start over at Saratoga, and we will go to get your past performances out. Friday, July the 17th, we're going to go to race number one, and there's the pick five that starts in race number one, so we'll play a couple different uh, pick five tickets. And uh, I'm going to go to the four in here to start. Legit, who's going to be trying the turf for the first time, does own a winning turf save. They're going to be going a mile and three ace in here, and there is no speed signed on on paper. I think Legit has an opportunity to steal it. I mean, you you really have to look through this field to kind of wonder who's going to get to the lead, and I think whoever does is going to have a major advantage on the field. The other horses I'm looking at, pretty logical, you know, the six value engineering. The two is going to be a wild card, mainly because he hasn't raced since May of 2019, but he may end up just close in a race that doesn't have speed and maybe he's a little bit fresh trying to pick out who's going to be on the lead is difficult in this race so we'll use the uh, the two the four and the six i have uh, this race four six two as my selections in order race number one we move to the second race and i'm going to go to the 10 horse in here brunate he was close up early on last time out and and he actually took back and then he loomed up. He was within about a length at the top of the lane. And he just tired then. Now he's going to go third start off the layoff. He has more speed than it seems like he has on paper. And there is not much in here. He seems like he is rounding into a good... One more one more step forward. He's, he's in good form. He's really rounding into a consistent runner at this level. So just a small step forward. He's going to be right there. The 10, Brunate. If we can get anything around 7-2, I think we make a win wager on him. I'm going to use also the 6, Lorenzen. 
and the the seven Friday beers in the Rolling Exotics. The one Don's Early Light has burned a lot of money. I'm okay taking a swing against the one in here so with the uh, the six, seven, and the ten. We have them in the order of ten, six, and seven. We move to race number three here. We'll go too deep in this one. The one Universal Payday. He's never run a bad race. He should save all the ground from the inside. He's coming in from Penn, but he faced First Level Allowance Company over there. He was part of a three-horse battle in between, and he held on best of that group. I think he should, he'll should. he either be more aggressive and go or take back and sit from the inside. And when you look towards the outside, maybe Blood Moon, maybe Fried Rice King, if they're a little quicker than Universal Payday, then he saves the ground from the inside. Gaffleone's been riding very, very well. And I like him on a horse like this who has a, has some tactical speed but can sit. He seems to make the right decision a lot with the, with horses like this on when to go. Blinkers on for the four. The Rock says, finally, 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 The Rock has come back to Saratoga. Three to five on the morning line off the claim for Diodoro. He's going to be... He's going to be tough in here. He's the one to beat. That's why I'm hoping the one just can sit a, sit a nice trip, save all the ground, and um, and if he's good enough, he'll have every opportunity. We move to race number four. Three deep in here. The three is going to be my top selection. Persian Queen, third off the long layoff. You're going to get a little cutback from seven furlongs after uh, two starts at seven furlongs. You drop in class. You're back to uh, a born where you won. You're back to a track where you've won. I think Persian Queen is worth using in your exotics here. Make a win wager if you can get around six to one or so. The two leave you with a smile is the one to beat. The five will be the other one I use in, in some exotics. I think stunning munnings should be in the mix throughout. Might be the quickest and is super consistent. Generally shows up with a really nice effort. I just don't know if she's a win machine. She might be better suited for some of the minor awards. But we'll use her uh, on one of the pick fives. Race number five, I'm going to go with the, the deuce the, to start things out. Voliero, who he closed well in between horses. He had a fine start, but he had to take back in order to not get hooked wide. And at, and then he was a little bit outrun. Not not every horse can go, take back, and then go immediately again. They're not all so push button. Sometimes they take a little bit to get relaxed and then to get going again. And that's, that's really what seemed to happen with Voliero. He was about 15 lengths off at one point. And I really thought he he had a, a nice effort for second. He's going to go third start of the year, third off the bench. He's ready for his best career effort in here. The seven, Scuttlebuzz, no doubt the one to beat. Any improvement off that last effort should win. But he's got to stretch out from six to a mile and a sixteenth and prove that he can go long. His three races so far have, have all been sprinting. The other one I would look at would be the four. This is a barn who's very good with horses. They debut going long. The dam of this one was six for 30, and a multiple stakes winner earned 197000 So there's a little pedigree there for the number four, open lengths. Two, seven, four in race number five. In race number six, I'd use the four, the seven, and the eight. So this is the start of a late pick five here. I'll do. Uh, I'll give you the, uh, the pick five tickets at the very end. In race number six, the four giant shoes, was a debut winner, then tried Stakes Company in the slop. You can excuse that effort. Came back and was a fine third in a similar spot, and an, an effort like that would make him a major contender against this group. Last time out, tried the turf. I think you can put a line right through it. At least he got a race under his belt. He got some of the fitness and some of the rust knocked off. He got Giant Shoes here as the top selection. We'll use with the seven, Vintage Hollywood. We'll use along with the eight, Big Thicket, who's probably the one to beat, but is going to be a short price.
four, seven, eight in race number six. De La Rose is race number seven. And as many of these turf races are, you're going to get a, a bunch of Chad Browns in here. He's going to be very live with Catch a Bid, with Noor, uh, Noor Sahara. Um, and you're going to get the other Brown, um, Viadera. And then you're going to also get Blowout to the outside. So you get Browns all over. Chad Browns all over in these turf races. I do think the three passing out has a major shot to, to upset them. And I think the four Clara Peters would, would be another one that, that would. So passing out was behind Rushing Fall, who came back to win the, the grade one Jenny Wiley. Passing out was fifth of five, chasing Rushing Fall, who ended up winning that race on the front end. Stayed inside, ended up getting up for third. I thought passing out ran really well that day and was just in a little bit tough. This is a better spot. She's a very, very top tier contender in here. The four Clara Peters got the win at Belmont last time out. She seems on the upswing The one catch a bid With the inside draw The ability to show a little bit of speed Kind of tactical speed I think I like best of the Chad Brown runners So I would be 3-4-1 in here If you're going to go a little deeper I would use the 6 and the 2 on other tickets But 3-4-1 I might play one uh, one ticket where I single the 3 Passing out Let's go to race number 8 Optional 62 non-2s 5.5 furlongs The 4 Lost ticket Lightly raced Can improve after just that one turf sprint The 3 lady lawyer is no doubt the one to beat Those would be the only 2 I use in exotics in race number 8 In the ninth race I would go 10 5 and 6 Indian pride No doubt the one to beat Going to take a ton of money The 6 is a, is a little bit of a price to use Win a, a mile last time out Actually ran really well Now you get the slight turn back Second time in the US For this you know Group 1 winning Philly Over in Argentina The 10 will be The top selection though Please flatter me Look at who this Philly has run into And been unlucky She hooked Guarana last time out She hooked Kofivi Twice Last year She's drawn well Towards the outside Because she has some speed But she can also sit off a little bit And she's proven she can pass horses I think that That could be key in here with the draw If she doesn't get as caught up early on With a horse like Indian Pride Who's really quick And maybe she can sit off from the outside Indian Pride probably blamed And if Please Flatter Me can work out that third trip That's where I think she, she could be really worth Playing and including in your exotics Closing things out We'll use the 3 shared success The 11 true grace And the 1 KK Ichikawa All pretty logical horses here Don't really have to, to sell you on why I'm using any of them You can I think understand So let's uh, let's go to the tickets That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at playing In race number 1 I'll play a pick 5 I always play a couple different ones And I'll, I'll look at the you know the scratches, the changes, and everything, but there'll be something like four six with six seven ten with one four with two three five with two four seven. Another one will be two four six with six seven ten with one four with two three with two four seven. And then in the sixth race, play one that's uh, four seven eight with one two three four six with three four with five ten with one three six. And then another pick five that goes four seven eight with three singled. With three four, with five six ten, with one three eleven. That is Friday over at Saratoga. 
one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said, Sarah Candle Company. SarahCandles.com, C E R A Candles.com. When you use that promo code G I N O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. These are all natural soy wax candles. If you're someone who likes to burn candles, if you know um, your your wife, your husband, your daughter, your son, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your friends, your family, anyone that you know out there that likes candles, give these a try. Buy one of these as a gift for them. They have 25 different scents. They are. Locally sourced I know the company that makes them personally And they just want to to make a perfect candle That's better for you With these all natural soy wax With the lead free cotton wicks Over 25 cents to choose from Available in 3 different sizes And they have instructions and details On how to keep your candle clean And ensure the perfect burn Because remember, you're burning a candle around So you want to trim the wick You want to make sure that you don't go too low With the candle And they'll give you all the instructions On how to be safe And to get the perfect burn with your candles Sarah Candles.com, C E R A Candles.com. Use that promo code G I N O. Get you 10% off your purchase. Friday racing up at Pleasanton. We're going to talk about the late pick five up at Pleasanton. Get your past performances out. No Del Mar, they canceled. So we'll have some Pleasanton to discuss. We'll have a, a Monmouth Friday stable dual lineup also. And then we'll talk some Monmouth, Saratoga, and Pleasanton for Saturday. So a uh, third race. I'm going to go play a pick five. And I'm going to begin. It's a maiden 12-5, it's by furlongs And I just, I don't really love the race To be honest, I think it's a little bit difficult So I'm going to use the lightly race horses That I think feel like they have upside If you are spending a little more and you want to go all in this race I would not talk you off doing it But I do think the one garden in the sky The four Ms. Cappadocia The five electric Elizabeth And uh, the six Miss MGD I do think they, they probably would get you covered With those four in there But if you want to go all six, I would not talk you off doing that in race number four, I'm going to use the three, four, and five. Struzel on the drop in class should be tough. Dairy Kid has some dirt form. Another one that's taking a, a slight drop in class here. And the five charming lass. There is not a ton of speed in here. Maybe we get the the one mucho runner going. But I would not be shocked if Charming Lass is right on the lead or sitting very close to it. Just one at Pleasanton. A lot of times we see these horses that take a while to get their first victory, and they come right back and win. Make sure to use the five Charming Lass in all your exotics in that fourth race at Pleasanton. In race number five, we'll be three deep in here. Jammer's Justice, the four, should get a nice trip because the one, when Amigo, will probably try to show some speed from down inside. The two, Pegasus Spirit... uh, Pegasus Sprint shouldn't be too far out of it The three Galaxy Master is probably The quickest one in here I don't think the five is going to be too far out of it And it wouldn't be shocking to see the eight Try to get involved So we could see combinations of, of you know A few different horses pushing the pace in here That could set up nicely for Jammer's Justice who can sit just off So I'll use the four I will use the one Buen Amigo Who, who can also sit and should be able to save ground Inside I think the horse that might be the quickest of all of them If anybody has the chance to sneak away It could be the three Galaxy Masters So we'll use the uh, four, one, three In race number 5 there at Pleasanton The 6th race, I'm just going to single the, the 3 here Illipani, who should sit really nicely Just broke the maiden last time out And again, you look at the way this race should shape up on paper The 1's going to go from the inside The... 
the four awesome Alessandra is also going to be flashing some speed. The five Golden Delights going to be flashing some speed. The six Zelaya is going to be flashing some speed. I think the uh, the three gets a great trip sitting just off of them. A couple good efforts here at Pleasanton. So to me, the three is the one to beat. I'll just single Illipani there in race number six. And then to close things out, I will use three horses. The one, we say no. The six, go Vida Girl. And then the first time starter of the seven, Grazing by the Bay. So a couple logicals and then a price of a firster there to close it out. A pick five that would look something like this. One, four, five, six with three, four, five with one, three, four with the three with the one, six, seven. That's over at Pleasanton on Friday. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full-service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Friday Stable Duel, two different racetracks where you can enter in a Stable Duel contest. You can enter over at Monmouth Park for a $10 entry fee. And then they also have the Saturday contest that we're going to be talking about just a little later on. And then you can also enter at Ellis Park. They're jumping into the mix for just 5 bucks. You can enter the Ellis Park Stable Duel contest. I'm going to talk about the Monmouth Park one on here. That's where I'm going to build my lineup for. So Friday uh, at Monmouth Park, they have a contest and there are only six races so in your stable duel lineups you're going to need to double up in a couple races 
I know some of you already do that. I try to preach not doing that because we got to remember it's it's not about what we like, right? Some races you don't like, so you probably oh, I don't like anyone in this race as much. I don't want to pick a horse in here. I'll just pick two horses in the other race. You just you eliminate opportunity for yourself. When you do that, you automatically are giving yourself less chance than the person next to you if they're playing where they go one horse in each race or they go 10 all the way down. Now, again, this is going to be a situation where there's only six, so this is not what I'm talking about. But just in mind, I like to, to let you know all the time, always try to play when you're playing in the stable duel contest one horse per race. You have to give yourself the chance to get maximum points. There are races where you don't like a horse sometimes and you put them in and they win. Or you don't love a horse and they win, but because of their value and their opportunity, you include them. Okay, let's get to Monmouth for Friday. In race number one, I'm going to use two... Uh, there are two different horses that I would look to. The seven would cost you five grand, and that's Wendigo, who is now going to stretch out. And after a couple of sprints, I think the stretch out is going to be very nice for Wendigo. The four dialed in gold will cost you 3000 This is one that's exiting some live races. So I would go the seven at 5000 or the four at 3000 as horses to use in race number one. In the second race, the two carrot at 750 So look at some of the running lines. You see Tiger Blood, who was just in against grade two company the other day. You see the sharp um, long blonde. This, this one was a fine third last time out, needed the race. Will only cost you 750 the number five will also be one that I use in some lineups. That is Duncastle, who would cost you sixty five hundred, and I think they're just searching for what level they fit at over at Monmouth right now. In race number three, I would look to Senavi, who would cost you seven thousand. Really fits the conditions of this race nicely, and then the nine Brimstone would cost you six thousand. This one was a proven fit at the level last time out. In the fourth race, couple that I would look to. Oh, I just talked about Save by the Bell, huh? What about the two? Save by the Bell, the number three. First time turf with some nice turf influence in the pedigree. The number and that one's only gonna cost you three thousand. The number one New York Rockstar for five thousand can sit from the inside. And then real doozy for seventy five hundred if you want to sit, uh, spend up a little bit. Exits a really live race with three next out winners. In race number five, I'm looking to the nine, Chubb on to run. 5,000. This is a pace factor who should be in the mix throughout. The number four at 9,000 looks like the one to beat if you want to spend up. And then in the sixth race, the number four, My Sweet Wife, would cost you 5,000. Was part of a group of, of six that all wanted the lead. This one ended up taking back a little bit, was fourth on the inside, then gets caught in between horses, makes a four wide bid at the top of the lane, was in contention till late in the stretch. The number 10, Gaelic Tales at 6,000, just missed a Delaware last time out, so it would be the 4 for me, my sweet wife, and the 10, Gaelic Tales there in the 6th race. Those would be some of the horses I look to build my lineup around in the Monmouth Friday Stable Duel Contest. Make sure to get involved over at Monmouth, over at Ellis Park, and those Stable Duel Contests. On the page from Friday to Saturday, we will start with Saratoga for Saturday. Get those past performances out for July. The 18th, we'll start in race number six, 
race number one, no, race number six, race number one with the six, Repo Rocks, just a, a horse to, to make sure to include who's trading well and whose dam has produced four winners of five. I just think this this one fits nicely, and the barn does pretty well with the two-year-old. So the six, make sure to include, uh, but not necessarily a horse where we're going to be able to bet to win. Got to be honest, I haven't really been in love with the first few Saratoga cards. haven't felt like there were as many of those big price opportunities that I that I at least look for uh, when I'm when I'm handicapping Saratoga. In race number two, I would use uh, I like the five a little bit here. Uh, Kill Ronin, who's going to go second off the bench and finally puts two starts together. And when I say second off the bench, he hadn't raced from October of 2018 to July of 2020, and he actually ran pretty well last time out. He was uh, battling for the lead. He takes back a little bit. And he's three lengths off chasing. He moved up to briefly take the lead in early stretch before tiring. I thought it was a race that he's going to take a lot out of. So make sure to use Kill Ronin in all of your exotics, the number five, along with the one, four, and seven. So I would be five, one, four, seven in race number two. In race number three, it's the seven decorated invader. I've always been a fan of Moon Over Miami. He put it all together last time out. Nice win going a mile and an eighth on the grass, but... I just don't think uh, anyone in here is quite good enough to compete with Decorated Invader when he shows up with the top, top effort. In the fourth, the horse I'll mention is um, Archu My Baby, who I, I think he can sit the tr- she can sit the trip that w- will work out really, really well in here and maybe have an opportunity to beat the, the couple inside horses, uh, the one baby boss, the two lady by choice, I'd imagine are going to be be tough in here. So, yeah, let's use the uh, the five with the one and the two, uh, Archu, my baby, on top. And then in race number five, Maddie's Marauder here is one that I like. He's going to be trying the turf for the second time now. And, and last out, he moved in between horses up to fifth. He was three off, and then he makes an early three-wide move. He was up to within about a half of a length at, a t- at the top of the lane. He tried hard all the way. That was his first start since December. So he really needed the race, and he should be a lot more fit with that one under his belt. He'll stretch out from 7 to a mile here. That's the 5 Maddie's Marauder. Make sure to use him in all of your exotics. You can get around you know, just 4 to 1 or so. We'll make a win wager. Uh, we'll use along with the 6 and the 9 in exotics. Let's move to race number 7, and let's talk about a late pick 5 that we're going to play here. Uh, the 1, Yaupon. Who's going to sin hard from the inside? I think you have to include the five Kuchina, who's going to come back to the dirt, who was wide last time out on the grass and has run well on the dirt in the first few starts of his career. Give him an opportunity bouncing back when he gets to the main. One in five to kick off the late pick five. In race number eight, I'll be sort of Captain Obvious with the three creative style, who's just in really nice form right now. And he feels like one who can just run all day long and will also... Use uh, the nine Hammer and Ammer Who went gate to wire last time out But he's not a horse who needs the lead And and with the outside draw should have some options Can sit off I think the horse to beat in here So we'll use the three We'll use the nine in, in race number eight Like two of the pick five sequence Race number nine will be three deep in here With the, the six, seven, and eight Set piece, obvious top contender Off the win last time out Digital Age was a runner-up and was your beaten favorite and comes out of some strong races prior to that. The 
the one I'd also give a look to who might be able to spice things up at a price is Midnight Tea Time is another one who's just coming out of some some good races. I think you could give him the race last time out and say he needed it, and, and it wasn't a bad effort. Now he should be a little sharper in here. The two races back uh, on, in January and February over at Fairgrounds, those races have come back very, very live. Horses coming out of those races have continued to come back and run really, really well. So let's go six, seven, eight. In race number nine at Saratoga in that late pick five, they, we get to the CCA Oaks, uh, the grade one coaching club American Oaks. Mile and an eighth is race number 10 for the three-year-old Phillies. And I'm going to single the six Paris lights. The one tonal is shape with the blinkers on. We'll try to go a mile and an eighth for the first time. And all these Phillies are going to try to go a mile and an eighth for the first time. I, I do think that the outside Philly Paris lights is just on the upswing and looking at the way this race is going to shape up from a betting standpoint, I'd imagine those two take the the bulk of the action and I'm going to go with Paris lights. Her debut sprinting. She hooked the sloppy track at Gulfstream park and she was a fine third stretches out to a mile and a 16th on May the 31st settled third on the inside saving ground and just an awesome win last time out. Very, very similar. I think with the outside draw, she'll be sitting close. She doesn't need the lead in any way, shape, or form. And she doesn't feel like a horse that distance is going to be any problem for, based on her breeding. Baffert sends a crystal ball out. Who, I think what crystal ball will do in here is probably get the lead, or at least make things a little difficult for Tonalist Shape down on the inside with the blinkers on, if their plan was to try to get aggressive and go. Velvet Crush has also got a little speed in here And Paris Lights should sit really nicely from the outside We're going to single the six Paris Lights in that late pick five at Belmont Park And then what that enables us to do is just go all in the last You start looking at the last and you are and you start building cases You know, American Piper, Quick Return, Midnight Whiskey, Pop Luke, you know, Kaz's Beach And now all of a sudden then Farragut, Top of the Mint Now you're, you're going, okay, well I just gotta go all in here Because I'm already going super deep as it is So we'll play a pick 5 that's 1-5 With 3-9 With 6-7-8 Single the 6 With all 1-5 with 3-9 With 6-7-8 With 6 with all That's at Saratoga on Saturday Horse racing fans Make sure to check out OldSmokeClothing.com T-shirts, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats With horse names, with the big races, with slogans You can show the horse racing fan in you And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O You'll get no shipping OldSmokeClothing.com Show the horse racing fan in you They can do customs for you there Also, don't forget promo code G-I-N-O For no shipping cost Let's get to Monmouth Park for Saturday. They got a huge card on Saturday with the Haskell, with the United Nations, with a ton of stakes races. So um, let's go to the late pick five first, and then we'll go back and go through the, our stable dual lineup. So uh, actually, we'll, we'll go to race number nine. I think Valedictorian is worth using if you can get around five to one. She was just outrun last time out behind Newspaper of Record, who can do that to, to other fillies and mares. She has a lot more speed than she was able to show. She's back to Monmouth, where she's done really well in some of her best ever work. And I think she either will get the lead or just sit really close and save all the ground from the inside. So make sure to play the one valedictorian. If you get around 5-1, to one, use her in, uh, in any of your exotics that you're playing there. I'm going to go to race number 10 and play the late pick 5. 
at Monmouth. And uh, in race number 10, I will be looking at the one. I'm going to spread out a little bit. The one global campaign with the blinkers off. The two, Monagalia, I'll be using. The six horse core, core beliefs, who was a good effort coming off the bench last time out for the new connections. And look, and look at some of the horses who he was behind last year. Some pretty nice ones. The 8, 9, and 10 will also be on my ticket. Just Whistle, who I actually thought had a little bit of a shot going into the Suburban, and that was just a group that was too tough. Ball Harbor's another one. Look at the last couple uh, races he comes out of behind Maximum Security and, and Tom's D. Todd. And then Bodie Express with the speed to the outside. He's going to sit close. Can he? Is the mile in an eighth is really what he wants? Eh, I don't know, but he... He should be in the mix throughout, and obviously, I don't love this race as I'm spreading out, so I'll go 1, 2, 6, 8, 9, 10. In the United Nations, I'm most singled Aquaphobia, who I just think is in, in good form and comes out of a, a, a good wise Dan, and I don't really love anyone else in here that much. I'll throw the 9 in, Perrette, on, on a few tickets just because... He's in good form right now. He doesn't need the lead. He showed it last time out, that, that speed. But he, he's just a sharp horse in a race where I, I'm not really a big fan of Arklow wheeling back quickly. Standard deviation, yeah, sure, uh, he could. Current, yeah, sure, he could. I just prefer Aquaphobia in here. I think he's put together a string of pretty good races in some of the against some of the better fields um, that that most of these have faced, and and yeah, Arklo when he's at his best, he's he's the one to beat. I just don't love that quick wheel back, and you know he's a six year old. Maybe he's 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 not able to string races together as well. And this is going to be his third race in just over a month. So let's use a couple, the five and the nine, Aquaphobia and Perret. We'll go one, two, and seven using the logicals in the Haskell, mainly because I'm going to single at the back end of the ticket. So seven, one, and two, and because we'll we'll probably be using some sort of middle type price horses in the United Nations. Uh, I just I think those are the three it, for me. It's New York traffic. I have on top, then Doctor Post and Authentic. I, I can't really see anyone else in here, so I think you can. Probably get through this race using those three This is not something I normally do Just use the three logical horses all in one race But the way this ticket is built There are some other prices And there are some other races where we're not just going to be going chalk So race number 13 We'll use the four Smart Remark We'll use the 11 American Sailor Who I'm actually going to make my top selection I think he's going to be able to maybe steal this race From the outside And then the six Archie Dust I'll, I'll take a wait and see approach on Shecky Sabaz We'll go 11, 4, 6 in race number 13, and then we'll single She's a Julie, who I just think is the class of the field in race number 14, and it would be Royal Flag, the other one I was going to use, and I just don't like doing that when you're going to be using the, the two top choices. You're better better off picking one and singling. I think from the inside, she'll be able to save all the ground if she wants to go or she wants to sit, and she's just the, the no-doubt class of the field, this multiple grade one winner, She's a Julie. So pick five, something like one, two, six, eight, nine, ten. With five nine, with one two seven, with four six eleven, single to one. She's a Julie on the back end. So let's talk stable duels Saturday, and let's talk about your Monmouth Park lineup. I'm gonna I'm gonna focus in on Monmouth Park with their with their big races. And now keep in mind with um with more than ten races now, you can really pick and choose which horses you like the most and which races you want to spend on, and you can skip some of the races that you don't have as strong of an, an opinion on. So for me, my first play at Monmouth in, uh, in our stable duel contest is going to come in race number three, and I'm going to go to the five in here, my sister's keeper, who, again, 
overall just really consistent, always seems to pick up checks, and now you're going to take a, a drop in class. My sister's keeper will get to the grass after taking a couple shots on the dirt, and it's been just as consistent on the grass, actually even better on the turf too. So my sister's keeper will be using, and my sister's keeper will cost you... 7,000. Um, in the race number two, I'm okay with free coffee at, at 3,000 also. So I'd be okay with using either one of those two free coffee in the second at 3,000 or in, in race number three, my sister's keeper at 7,000. In race number four, I would also I would give a look to the two in here. Waller Cito, he's going to be stretching back out from six furlongs to a, a mile. And I think his mile race going on the turf was his lone victory. He's going to be quick. He's going to be showing speed in here, and he should be able to hang around and pick up some points for you. That's the number two, Waller Sito, and that's going to cost you 6000 Others that we look through uh, as we continue through the Monmouth card, in the fifth race, I would give a look to the number three, Scatnap for 7000 who loves to win races, comes out of a very live, strong race at Gulfstream Park on June the 7th. So the number three, Scatnap at 7000 I would spend up for in race number five. In race number nine, I'm looking to Valedictorian from the inside. I think Valedictorian only going to cost you 3000 Uh If you want to spend up a little more, feel glorious at $5,000. i am fine with Varenka at $5,000. i am fine with... But uh, I think from the inside, Valedictorian is going to give you a good run for your money and a much improved effort on, on this day. In the 10th race, again, that that's one you can go in, in a bunch of different directions. I would probably lean towards Just Whistle at around 5000 there. So Just Whistle, the 8, would cost you 5000 In race number 11, I would, I'd look to Aquaphobia at 6500 the other one I mentioned in here was Perret, who is actually cheaper than that, only uh, only 5000 But Aquaphobia will be one that I'll be building a lot of lineups around here. In the Haskell, I'm fine with the with New York traffic at 7500 the cheapest of the big three in there that you figure are going to take all the money and they're going to be super prominent and, and they're going to be live. The 13th race, Smart Remark is super consistent, not a win machine, by any means, but in a contest like this where you need to pick up points, I think it's a really good spot for Smart Remark at 3000 And then in the end, uh, for me, I'll spend up on She's a Julie to close things out. I think she's very well spotted. Royal Flag would be obviously the other one, and I just think I would prefer She's a Julie in the, uh, of those two. So, a couple to look at in your stable dual contest for Saturday at Monmouth. Let's finish up Saturday with some Pleasanton, and let's hit on that Pleasanton pick five. It starts in race number five. I'm going to go three deep in here. We'll use the two, Dangerous My Middle Name, Logical, Speedy, Contender. The five will also be on the tickets. Trumpum, probably the one that they'll have to beat. And the Known should sit a really nice trip from the outside there. So two, five, and six. We will go two deep. In race number six, the one Regal Lady will try to go back-to-back and will try to sit a nice trip from the inside. I do think you want the five on your tickets. This is a horse who I played last time out, Jupiter S, who was facing tougher and is just trying to figure out where she best fits. And it was one of those efforts where I I like a horse in that spot and it's too bad to believe I'm going to use them back next time, especially when you'll you'll get a decent price here on Jupiter S and you might be able to beat a a couple of the shorter-priced favorites in here. 
in race number seven. We'll go too deep with the one and the eight. The eight horse, the latte factor. This is a filly who faced the boys and who faced open company like Pleasanton last time out. So she'll kind of get a double drop in here. She'll be facing Calbreds. And she'll be facing Phillies after facing Open Company and the boys. And the one Maggie's Magic also faced Open Companies at Golden Gate in her debut. She flashed a little speed. So we'll go one and eight there in race number eight. Three deep, the three, the five, and the six. Those will be the three on the ticket for us. Mother of Dragons looks like the one to catch and beat. The five, Blue Diva, who I think on the turnback is a little bit interesting. This one could be rolling late. And then the number six horse will also be on the tickets. That's Bl- uh, Biddy Duke, who is another one who should be forwardly paced. Go look at Biddy Duke, who comes out of the, the Angel Flight Stakes last time out. I- I'd imagine this one's going to take a lot more money, um, I think, than, than the morning line would suggest. But this is not an easy race here in the $50,000 Cal Governor's Handicap up at Pleasanton. We'll close out this pick five with four. The two, the three, the four, and the seven Going to be four deep to try to close this thing out With Slam Dunk Sermon With Inquisition Just a repeat of that last effort Sitting a a trip coming from off the pace The four horse Flick Flack Also going to be on the tickets And the seven when ducks fly Two, three, four, seven to close it out Pick five will go two, five, six With one, five With one, eight With three, five, six With two, three, four, seven. That is Pleasanton for Saturday. Before we finish up and and get to the uh, the wrestling, the old wrestling rewatch. Those of you wrestling fans, remember there is a WWE pay per view this weekend. It is Extreme Rules, the horror show at Extreme Rules, and a quick rundown of the the matches. We'll get Apollo Cruz versus MVP for the U.S. Championship. We'll get Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus in a bar fight, which is a little bit awkward, you know. When they're playing on the real life problems that Jeff Hardy has had and some of his demons, we're gonna get Bailey versus Nikki Cross in the SmackDown's Women's Championships match, Oscar versus Sasha in the Raw Women's Title match, Drew McIntyre versus Dolph in the WWE Title match, Braun versus Bray in the Swamp match, which is non-title, and then the one that I'm curious about: Rey Mysterio versus Seth Rollins in an eye for an eye match. Yes, folks. They have said that the winner of this match will be the person who is able to remove the opponent's eye from their socket. How are they going to get out of this one? Is this going to be a schmoz? Is somebody going to come back and make a return? Is Ray's son going to turn on Seth, turn on him and go join Seth? Are we going to get somebody early on in the show that attacks the other one and we don't even get the match? I don't know. But I do know one thing. I cannot imagine we're going to see an eyeball taken out of a socket on WWE television this weekend. We saw a pretty damn good WWE pay-per-view back in 2003 with WrestleMania 19. Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, they joined me for the old wrestling rewatch. We go match by match, and this is a long one because this is a long pay-per-view where we have a lot to talk about. And we discuss everything, all the commentary, all the lead up to the match, what happened before, what happened after, everything you could possibly imagine. If you're a wrestling fan, you will love these deep dives where we get into all of it. Enjoy the old wrestling rewatch here on That's What G Said. (laughs) 
This week's old wrestling rewatch is actually going to take us to the most recent year that we've ever been to. This was the selection for Darren Zocali. Many of you have missed him the last few weeks, uh, but we will give him an excuse, Andrew. I, it was only a birthday and a, a wedding anniversary, so he he's okay. He, he gets the excuse. Andrew Champagne back, Darren Zocali back. Fellas, how we doing? Doing okay, man. Uh, this week is opening day at Saratoga, so lots going on, but... Excited for this rewatch, excited that it's my turn to pick for next week. And this show, a really good one with a lot of historical significance behind it. You'll look at Rock Austin. This was Austin's last match. This was the ascendancy of Brock Lesnar to the main event. And it was also, for my money, the worst storyline that Triple H was ever involved in, associated with, and something that is going to be held as a big negative against him when we look at his legacy when all is said and done. There was a lot about this program and a lot about that angle that stinks to high heaven. This is why good people don't like professional wrestling. It's bad. We'll get to that when we get to it. Lots of good stuff on this show, though. WrestleMania 19. Yeah, it's it's a fun watch. There's a lot going on, no question. It's one of the pay-per-views that's talked about for a lot of different reasons uh, quite often out there in, in, online and, and in the, the dirt sheets and everything, but uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. There's a lot of good matches. There's a couple of big stars that have lackluster matches, to put it nicely, that we could talk about lackluster storylines. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be back. Uh, it's a rough week for me, guys. I, I'm happy because I got my new golf clubs and my new, my new irons and my new driver that I got fitted for, so that's the plus. The bad news is that we got our Peloton yesterday, and I could barely stand up. Oh, oh boy, no. that's just a rookie mistake, man. Yeah. You can't go 100. percent You gotta work yourself up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not the uh, the Kurt Angles and Brock Lesnar's of the world, where we can just go out there and and do whatever we want. But just, just uh, glad to have you back, DZ. And man, this was a great show for you to uh, for you to pick. And you go down the list of superstars and nay and big name people on this show. And I mean, it is unbelievable from the beginning when we start out, and we've got you know Ray Mysterio and Matt Hardy right off the bat, and and then we get to you know we talk about the women. You're, you're talking about Trish Stratus, uh, the Undertaker, and Big Show are on there. We'll get to that. Obviously, they I don't think they made the best use of them, but just as far as names, then you go Michaels, Jericho, uh, then you go to you know Vincent Hogan, obviously Triple H, Booker, and then the last two matches where it's Austin and The Rock and Angle versus Lesnar. There are just match after match after match, heavy hitters. There's so little down on this show, and I think from from what we've talked about, guys, and, and then we'll we'll get into it and start going uh, match by match in just a second. This might be we've had shows before. I think that have had two really good matches where we could maybe. Say that two of them were five star or close to you know four and a half or above or or matches that if you said either or were the best match on the show or your favorite nobody would would think twice. This show actually has three of those. There are three legitimately really good matches that if somebody said, oh yeah, my favorite match on that show was the uh, the, the Lesnar Angle. My favorite match was the the Rock Austin. My favorite match was Michael's Jericho. They're fine. I mean, there's no wrong answer there. No, these are really good matches, but I'm going to bring up a little bit of historical trivia here. They made a really big blunder in promoting this show. They promoted this show 
with the centerpiece not being any of those three matches, being a match that arguably nobody except the two people involved ever wanted to see. They promoted Hulk Vince McMahon as one of the main matches on this show, in some cases, the biggest match on the show, and the buy rates, Gino and Darren, reflected that. This show got 560,000 buy rates, which sounds impressive. However, that was the lowest WrestleMania buy rate since WrestleMania 13, when they did 237,000 buys, the lowest buy rate in the history of WrestleMania. Hogan McMahon was not a draw. And to emphasize that, the next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 20, drew almost double what WrestleMania 19 did. They got a little over a million buys. This was a case where WWE had a lot of things they could have picked from as far as the focal point of this show. To paraphrase the one of the characters in Indiana Jones, he chose poorly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you take a look back at what this show was, uh, obviously, you know, I'm not going to say that Michaels and, and Jericho, you know, was going to be the, you know, going to be the, the the big match in lights when you consider a couple of the other matches. But still, Michaels and Jericho, uh, Rock and Austin, and then Angle and Lesnar, any three of those matches sell, in my opinion. Yep. And, oh, yeah. And I, yeah. And obviously, all three of them were phenomenal matches, and, and we'll talk about that. But how you go from those three to making Hogan Vince the big selling point of this pay-per-view uh, just just astounds me. And it, and it shows a lack of creativity. It shows uh, a lack of understanding, you know, the modern era of wrestling and what people want to see, thinking that what sold in 1988 will sell in 2003. And like Andrew said, it didn't. It's a, it's a really, it's a damn good show, but this is kind of like one of those cult classics, like a Scarface that didn't do well yes. on the box, and then after point. the fact, everybody realized how good of a show it was. Yeah, that's a good... But really- Darren, Darren, you're forgetting something. Hogan's involved. Hogan <laughs> must pose. And I gotta tell you, before we started anything, when I heard that Darren picked WrestleMania 19, I was pleasantly surprised because there's a lot of good things going on there. The Hulk Vince match, which we'll get to. And I texted this to Darren earlier in the day. This is everything Darren Zocali hates about Hulk Hogan wrapped in a bloody red package. And even is going to be so much fun. I'm going to enjoy every minute of this. And I may very well just bequeath my time over to Darren so that he can dissect every single thing that was wrong with Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, and what we're going to dub the nursing home street fight. It it was just, (laughs) you you see... Some of these guys who have been such major figures in wrestling, right? Like, we're not going to pretend that Hulk, that Vince, that Triple H aren't very, very talented, very good at what they do, and have had these massive places in history, right? Especially Hulk and Vince when it came to the storyline, who create, who was really the, you know, the father of WrestleMania. Why is WrestleMania such a big deal? You know, but that's what they were kind of going for, and the storyline between the two of them, back and forth, back and forth. We just got to see. The bad sides of all of those guys on this show Hogan, Vince, and Triple H With with what they still wanted to do And were trying to do That didn't hit Andrew, I'm glad you teased the Triple H match 
That one to me, when we talk about the things that Hogan did through the years and the the stuff that he may have done to Brett to a Bret Hart or the guys that he may have held down that he didn't really give an opportunity because Hogan never wanted to lose and he never wanted to give the title of her. He he didn't think this guy was ready or that guy was Sting or whoever it was through the years, right? We got to see this with Triple H here, and we even got to see it with Vince. I gotta say, in a complete vacuum, Vince and Hogan work their asses off in a match, right? That nobody wants to see. There's no point of of them going out there for that long and doing what they did. I respect a lot of what they did because they were busting it. They were trying to really, really have a good match. That thing should have been Hogan going out there in five minutes and wiping the mat with Vince. Vince trying to get a couple people to cheat for him, and that was it. But yeah. Vince has too much of an ego for that. Yep. And and we saw the same ego with you know with Hogan kind of coming back. Hogan with the reason why Hogan left at the end of two thousand two. You know, and, and Vince and him were battling, which is kind of what led to this storyline. And we and we really saw it with Triple H. So let let's jump right into it. We are in 2003 now This is March 30th, we're up in Seattle, Washington This is Wrestlemania 19 And what's important about this Wrestlemania is This is the first Wrestlemania Where they are the WWE now Get the F out, folks There's no more WWF And we've teased in in the intro All of the, the different major Things that happen So we get, you know, Austin's last match Which many didn't know At the time, and they weren't promoting it Like it was going to be Austin's last match they Many thought this was going to be Kurt Angle's last match He was done for a little while Rock was in Hollywood So they're not quite sure what's going on with him And then Brock Lesnar at the end will talk about it Yeah, he almost paralyzes himself in the main event So just a, a really insane show um, when, when you discuss all of this And you know, Angle, Brock, Stone Cold, Rock, Hogan, Undertaker, Jericho, Triple H In the intro, you get all of them talking about how how important and what a big deal WrestleMania is, and I like this intro a lot. Like we, we, I don't think we ever really hit any of these packages or intros that we we badmouth. And there's a lot of things about WWE that we don't like in the matches and stuff. In the rewatches, I, I don't, I don't think we ever even say negative words about these video packages or the build-up packages. These things are just phenomenal each and every time. They do a great job with it. And then we get our first dose of a limp biscuit. Heavy show it's just oh. one of those Days and the only problem With this was this is Limp Biscuit About five years too late you know Limp Biscuit was was pretty popular You know five years before this And and uh, this is just a You know with, with the Undertaker but what's Crazy you know Limp Biscuit plays The Undertaker's song and they're all in this show And the Undertaker is such a small part Of the show which which also seems weird Too um, we'll get to Taker Shortly because he, he's in uh, one of the earlier Matches on the show so JR welcomes us to WrestleMania. JR and the King. We're going to have two commentary teams here. So they're going to be calling the Raw matches. We have Michael Cole and Taz calling the SmackDown matches. So JR and the King intro. It is the 10th Mania for JR. He's come a long way since he was wearing that toga back at uh, back in 93 WrestleMania. We're in Caesar's Palace. And Michael Cole, Taz, they get the, uh, the baton. And there's one thing. A massive entrance way So we have long entrances It takes everybody a long time to walk to the ring It is just a huge, huge stadium This is This is just like the start of that I guess the the When they're redoing this, right? They went for a while where they weren't really in those big stadiums Like they did, you know, for WrestleMania 3 And then getting at WrestleMania 6 But this is kind of 
it feels like the beginning again when they go back to the big, big stadiums. Isn't that kind of sort of right on that? Yeah, the time frame on that is about right. The next year they went back to MSG, but that was the 20th WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and you understood why they did that. But this was around the time that they experimented with going back to bigger venues, and it's a good move that they did. I thought Safeco Field worked and worked great for this. Yeah. There were a couple of really cool little spots that we'll get to, specifically the pyro that HBK came out to. That was really cool. Okay. We get right yeah, into... I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Was... No, go ahead. Oh, sure, go ahead. I was going to say, um, it's kind of funny, and I wonder I wonder if the pyro had something to do with it. So, yeah, you kind of feel like this is the show that starts it back up again, but believe it or not, the next three WrestleManias are actually all still in small arenas. Yeah. When uh, yeah. he is in is in the Garden, which obviously I'm not calling that a small arena from that standpoint, but it's an arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty one is in the Staples Center, which was brand new at the time, and twenty two, believe it or not, is in uh, the Allstate Arena, which is the old Rosemont Horizon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next three years, they kind of go back to the arena before they finally go to Ford Field and then the Orange Bowl and kick it off. But yeah. You wonder if the buy rate had something to do with it. You know, yeah. maybe they didn't have enough money. You know, maybe maybe they said it's not worth the investment to go big until maybe the next three years things pick back up again. That's a really good point. Because mm-hmm. these big stadium shows sometimes they don't get the sometimes all the reactions that they like. Sometimes it just doesn't fill or doesn't play as well on TV as they want. So yeah, that they they can't control the environment uh, as well. That's a good point, DZ. But I tell you, if they were. Ever going to do a big show and th- this was one this, this is just one that, that's shocking That didn't get more love and um, We get things started right away w- What makes a show really good to me Is like I said The multiple good matches or You know two, three or four matches That you can say could be the best match on the show And then no bad or very very Little bad just a few things that you Can point to this match to Kick things off was excellent. This is Rey Mysterio when he is flying around. Remember, Rey just debuted in the WWE, which uh, in SummerSlam 2002. So he's he's not been around long. This is his first WrestleMania. He's facing Matt Hardy for the cruiserweight title. Matt has uh, the Matt Hardy version one with the Matt facts. I, this was kind of cool. It was it worked for the time. It's got kind of like a computer graphics on the screen. Um, and we have Shannon Moore. With Matt Hardy, he plays a big role in this match. Moore tries to attack Ray before the bell, but Ray sees him and he tosses him outside. And then he ducks Matt Hardy, and as Matt Hardy tries to attack him from behind, he goes over the top rope, and instantly, we are five seconds in. The bell just about to ring. Ray hits this crazy, incredible-looking corkscrew over the top. He moves at such if we what we think is fast when we watch guys like. Like Owen and uh, Xbox with last week we're talking about their match or some of the other matches we watch them really go and then you watch Ray and he's just on a different level than everyone else who's even fast. Um, it is it, this match is short. It doesn't go very very long, but it is just a ton of back and forth offense. You see Ray. It's a great worked match and there even is a lot of psychology with Shannon Moore helping, you know, the heels cheat. You get, you know, Hardy playing the bigger guy with a little more strength so he's able to catch Ray a couple different times and block some of Ray's um um, you know, real innovative offense. Um, we'll go to DZ on this one first. This DZ is a great way to open the show and one guy when I'm doing these rewatches now, we all have, you know, the some of these guys that we start to come to life that we maybe didn't 
should have as much respect for Or maybe didn't quite like for whatever reason Or see, and Ray's starting to become one of those guys For me, I always liked him But I don't think I ever realized quite How damn good this guy could, is In the ring Yeah, they, I mean, there's a couple of sequences in this match That are just ridiculous, where it's like It almost feels like it's five minutes Of just non-stop moves That yeah. are just blowing the line uh, And it's not, you know, it's it's three or four But but they just come at you like 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 an avalanche, and 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 it's just so awesome to see because obviously you know Ray is so young here and and doing everything that he can do. It's his WrestleMania debut, as you said. Um, they're kind of playing up the angle, Matt. You know, I thought it was kind of cool. Matt Hardy, you know, has been struggling to get underweight. You know, he just made it under the two twenty limit. You know, so they kind of added like that boxing element to it, which I thought was pretty cool. But I mean, even all the way to the to the finish the way that that the, the way that it ends but i mean there's a hurricane run off the top rope that's just ridiculous uh where, where you think for a minute that ray's just gonna land like flat on his head and you don't know how he gets his entire body over um you know the the twist of fate false finish you know kind of surprised everybody that was cool um i but like you said look i mean this is how you open a wrestlemania it, it's a high-flying technically sound match that's got everybody up from the beginning. It's how you want to start a show. Um, I really went. I'll be honest with you. This is one of those matches that you watch back. I forgot how good this match yep. was. Yep. Because there's so much other stuff going on with this with this show. But but yeah, I mean, for me, uh, it's it, it's a four and a quarter star, four and a half star match, just on quality. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't as high on that as Darren was, but I enjoyed it. This was a heck of an opener for the amount of time that it was given. First of all, I am a mark for Matt Hardy version one. It's Some good. of the matches that facts he came are... up with were really funny. Matt often wonders how they did WrestleMania without him. That was pretty cool. And yeah. the essence of the character, too, just total egomaniac, the I'm better than you thing. They even got the sort of stuttering video in the real player-esque image, which is just, it was perfect for the time, and it helped get Matt Hardy over as a singles guy as opposed to just being Jeff's brother, which hamstrung him for a long, yes. long time. He feels he feels here like he's finally Matt. Yeah, exactly. Now, he does get Shannon Moore as sort of a lackey here. He does the Disco Inferno storyline where he's the big cruiserweight, and again, it's nothing overly complicated, but it works. Yeah. He may well have been above whatever weight limit it was, but he passed for 220. So we'll bill him as 220 and we'll give him the title. It worked. And Matt Hardy was good enough as a worker to be able to work with guys like Rey Mysterio, who at this point was wrestling on fast forward mode pretty much all the time. And it was even more jarring because we didn't see a lot of that in WWF yeah. and WWE until the acquisition of WCW at which point guys slowly started coming over. And WWF had Eddie Guerrero, Voldemort, Dean Malenko. They had some of those guys, but they were sort of forced to work a different style mm -hmm. until they got over. This was something completely different, and I liked this match a lot. There were a couple of things that dragged it down for me, though. First of all, and this happens a lot on this show, this was around the time where every big move in every match caused at least one announcer to say, it's over, it's over, it's yeah. over. I, Michael Cole and Taz yeah. were definitely, I don't know, they were nervous, a little excited. You know, they just, they, they seemed a little off 
all throughout the night. I didn't really love them as a team. And I don't and I'm honestly not one of those guys that's hard on Michael Cole. I think he does a fine job for it's it's not the easiest spot that he's in. I just I was never the biggest Taz guy as an announcer. He's okay. I I just don't really see a lot of creativity from him. Well, the thing that helped Michael Cole and Taz a lot as they started to work together more, SmackDown was taped. So they would do a live commentary feed and then they'd go into post-production and they would learn from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. They'd re-record some stuff if they needed to. And that worked and that caused both of them to get better. This wound up being not exactly late in their run together. So they were still sort of gelling as a team. They wound up being pretty darn good, but there were still some growing pains going on there. The problem is the it's over. No, it's not thing happens a lot in this show. And it's not just with that commentary team. JR had a great night. Jerry Lawler, not so much. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. They do a great spot. And I love this spot so much with Hardy going for Splash Mountain and Ray reversing into a Rana. That was so good. Mm-hmm. The only thing I didn't like about this match, and it happens a couple of times, the ending sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It sort of felt like they were just sort of ramping back up, and then Hardy rolls through, grabs the ropes, matches over. I understand there are time constraints. This is not a short show. This show clocks in at three hours and 45 minutes. We're not going to threaten the, is the podcast going to be longer than the show metric for this one? But... This could have gotten another three or four minutes and been just as good, if not a little bit better. Good opener. Wasn't crazy about the finish. Understand why it had to be there. Yeah, I think with with um, these this match, I think with the, the women's match, and I think with the tag match, they all felt like they were starting to ramp up and then they didn't get to go to the next level. Probably because they wanted to keep so much time for these big main event matches that they had stacked down the line. So I think that's a good point that we're going to find in a couple of these early matches. Not that I don't I don't think really any of them are even bad. They just could have been a little better with a few more minutes, as you pointed out, Andrew. So yeah, just a, a great a great WrestleMania opener. We'd see Ray as a guy they used in openers many times. If you don't see if you didn't see that Ray Mysterio Kurt Angle match at SummerSlam. Uh, check that one out sometime. That is another one where they give Ray, you know, they tell him, okay, Ray, you're going to go out there for five minutes and 37 seconds here. And he just goes for a dead sprint. There is no downtime whatsoever. Um, yeah, this thing only went 537 to start. Up next, a limo pulls up with the cat fight girls. These are the what, the Miller Lite cat light for girls. Miller Lite, yeah. Yeah. And they're arguing over which match they want to see more They're on the show all throughout the night a few different times That they want to see uh, Austin Rock or Hogan Vince And then we come to Taz I This is what actually made me laugh Because it was just Taz Like Taz just was, I don't know, nervous or whatever But he says, uh, I heard the Catfight girls really dig Taz and Cole says, where'd you hear that? And he just says, I made it up just like real, real, real quickly. He doesn't even wait like two seconds and try to play any gimmick or stick or anything. Um, and then we get footage earlier from Sunday Night Heat, where they used to use Sunday Night Heat at, on USA and as their sort of kickoff show. And, and they could have a, a match or two. A lot of times there would be something that uh, promos, you know, that related to later in the night. Sometimes there would be a match where somebody would win and get an opportunity to wrestle later in the night. And we and we see some footage of uh, of. Sunday Night Heat a couple different times throughout the show Where uh, Nathan Jones gets attacked in the shower by the Big Show and A-Train And up next, it's the Undertaker versus Big Show and A-Train in a handicap match So, 
Darren, I, I believe with this match, Nathan Jones was someone who Vince and the WWE looked at as this big guy. They liked him a lot. They liked his look. They thought he could be, you know, a next big guy for the company, and they wanted to build him as such. And I think they were looking at a relationship with The Undertaker as sort of a mentor to him on screen and maybe even off screen a little bit to help him. And so they're setting this match up. Undertaker had been feuding with Big Show for a while when it would seem like that would be just a more logical match on paper, right? Just Undertaker versus Big Show, that's fine. But they get the A train involved because they've done this a few times. And it was supposed to be Undertaker versus Nathan Jones. But DZ, I believe the rumors were this guy was so bad. And so incapable in the ring They really couldn't even get him To be and do any more Than what he did in this match And have any semblance of a match whatsoever Yeah Yeah that, that's what we heard Which is kind of like I mean it's like, it's like you're, you're about to bring the curtain down On your opening night in Broadway And you find out that like your third lead sucks And you have to yeah. replace them. Yeah. You know it's just terrible um, Look uh, the best thing for me about this match was the sign at ringside that said, mow your back. Um, you know, obviously. Refer- <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, look, maybe it's not, I won't say it's the Undertaker's worst WrestleMania match because Giant Gonzalez obviously sticks out. Uh, this is probably the match that I forget the easiest. Um, I, it could have just been Taker versus Big Show. I mean, Taker's fine. You know, he's doing what he's supposed to do. But the match is just boring to me, to be honest with you. Um, You know, like, after five minutes, I feel like I'm already in the match for 20. Um, I I just don't really have a whole lot of positive things to say. You know, I I mean, they make it a a handicap match. I mean, I guess it's believable that Taker can win because he's undefeated and it's Taker. Um... You know the under the, the crowd is always into, you know the Undertaker. But you know even for this match, I think it kind of it kind of dragged out a little bit in some of the stuff that they were doing. Um, some of the eight the A trains moves, like you know they call it the derailleur and the decapitator. I felt like I was watching you know Major League Two with Parkman up the bat. He's naming and, the and, pitches. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know here comes Parkman, all number one, the Terminator. You know, you get it's a gonna be the out of stater. stater. You know? Pretty soon, and then, and then, see you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and I'm just like watching it. I'm like, oh my god, like how how many moves does A Train have named? Like, how did that? Happen? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I mean, look, like I said, it's Taker, but the fact that this match goes on second and it's Undertaker really tells you all you need to know about it. Um, like I said, it's not his worst match in the history of WrestleMania, but for me, it's probably his most forgettable. All right, I guess I have to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome WWE's favorite band in the whole world, <laughs> Limp Biscuit. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Okay, oh, that's my Tony Chimmel. I hope you all enjoyed that. that was, yeah. Um, can we all make the decision? That we want the five minutes back where Limp Biscuit and Fred Durst were cool. Can we all just agree on that? That we want a do-over of those five minutes? <laughs> we like, screwed up. Cool. We effed up. Cool. We effed up. <laughs> how, how cool would a spot have been at some point in this show 
if somebody came out and just drilled Fred Durst. Fred Durst. It would have been great. Oh, that would have like been Like if he had slammed or something, just like the people were nuts. The yeah. Rock yeah. do it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything. Yeah. Anything. Now, I mean, take away the one intriguing thing that they did, which was the cover of Faith by George Michael, and you've got nothing. We got them twice on this show. They did the official song of WrestleMania, which is, of course, the ever-classy ditty called Crack Addict. (laughs) If you want to do a drinking game on this podcast, anytime we mention the phrase, you can't do that today, Take a really big drink. <laughs> You're going to be blotto by the time we get through Triple H, Booker T. You've noticed so, that I haven't really said a whole lot about this match. That's by design. So the crowd is hot for this match, by the way. Yeah. As bad as this match was, the crowd is super into this. And that's a credit to Taker and to Big Show and to a lesser extent, A-Train. Her, to his credit... Shortly after this match, I believe, was let go by the WWE. And he went over and he revived his career in Japan Mm -hmm. with some surprisingly good matches. That dude was capable, and it got him a second run in the WWE years later. Came back and became a big uh, uh, trainer at the Performance Center and one of the big pieces. He helped a lot of guys there in NXT over the last few years. They really like him down there. Yeah, he was, and he was someone that they were, you could tell, because they they kept repackaging him. You know, they did it yeah. three or four times with him, and they and they kept trying to to make him a sort of you know middle to, to upper middle card guy, and it just it didn't go. He was best as maybe like a second to someone where we could just stand in their corner and look you know look menacing. But yep. yeah, I, I I you know I'm, I'm with both of you. It, it's if you're just again if you're just watching this match completely in a in a vacuum, and you're not looking at it from the what is and who is the Undertaker. And what is and and who is WrestleMania and all that stuff? It it's not bad. I mean, A Trace spits on Taker's bike right away. Big Show tries to attack Taker. That's one thing I thought was kind of weird too, right? Second match in, it's the same exact thing that they did in the first match. Yep, that's the, for the, sure. the attack from behind, almost identical. They try to, to to bait the the baby face, and then the heel comes up from behind, just like Matt Hardy did with Shannon Moore. So you have two matches, and there's two just something that you catch. And you go, oh, that just happened in the, the match before that. That's weird, you know. Um, and Big Show goes flying through the ropes. Undertaker with a choke slam early on. He almost pins A Train right away. Cole mentions the under uh, the undefeated streak. So we're you know we're really starting to talk about it now in 2003. And um, you know, take it from behind. It's it's you know, Big Show has an abdominal stretch at one point, and then things slow down. Taker fires back up. He keeps having to deal with the two-on-one advantage. It's it's fine the way the match is booked. It just doesn't. It, it's it's out of place at WrestleMania. Yes, we, we 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 know why they do it, but this is a a match that's on the the main event of a SmackDown, you know, or or a Raw that you see. It's it's just not a, an Undertaker match at WrestleMania. Give me a stip with Undertaker versus Big Show, and that just feels better. Even if the match quality isn't the worst match quality in the world, like Darren said, you could probably argue there are at least one, maybe two. He doesn't do much with King Kong Bundy. There are worse matches that when you watch them, you feel like, uh, this doesn't, isn't a complete dud. They don't, there's not botches and stuff all over. It's just, why, why is this at WrestleMania? Who is, the, it's just, they, they, they were really handcuffed by what happened with Nathan Jones. And even if so, 
Undertaker and Nathan Jones in a tag match against Big Show and A Train. That feels WrestleMania. I don't. Yeah, th- this was a swing and a miss here, no doubt about it. Um, Taker gets the tombstone. He celebrates with the American flag, and you know Undertaker. This is after, as Andrew mentioned, Limp Biscuit plays for a few minutes, and then they kind of play the Undertaker to the ring. So this was our first dose of Limp Biscuit in a. I think Darren, you probably had the best wor- word to describe this match. Forgettable. I think if you're making a list of the Undertaker's WrestleMania matches, this would be one you, you'd remember the Giant Gonzalez one because it's so bad. You'd right. remember the King Kong Bundy one because it's kind of weird. It's like, oh, that was a weird one to be having, and you know. But you, you wouldn't. This would be one that you would completely forget. It's like, oh yeah, he was in that weird handicap match where he was supposed to be in a tag with Nathan Jones. So yeah, we spent definitely uh, enough time on on this one. We can move on to the Catfight Girls one more time. They catch up with Stacy Keebler and Tori Wilson. So uh <laughs> Tori Wilson has just Stacy Keebler by the way. Oh my God. Yeah. Good. So <laughs> she and her legs are quite long at this point and <laughs> these I mean they look great both of these these women. I'm not going to be the king here but I can I'm I'm going to say they 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 look fantastic. Tori just was in Playboy, you know, so she's super buzzy and mainstream and Stacy is with um is paired with Test right now and she just created the name for all of Test's fans and followers and has called them now the Testicles. So can't do that today. Yeah. Everybody drink. <laughs> so this was this was just a great way that, that, that something that you know Vince wanted to get a laugh out of to get these girls to say testicles a few times. So they say it and they say speaking of testicles, Stacy has a new marketing campaign. So the girls all leave to discuss. Um they just try to get these girls on the show a few uh times throughout. And it's funny cuz you get to see coming up next a it's weird because while we still have some of the old guard of the bra and panty stuff that we'll see with the pillow fight later on and with you know these four girls who are throughout the show, we actually get to a match next that is really good. And it has a feel of nowadays women's wrestling. It's it's really quality. I don't think it's quite as good as something you would get if you had, you know, like Charlotte and Sasha and, and Bailey and, and Becky and, and some of them you know at their best. But this match that comes up next is really good Before that we go back to JR And King and JR gets super Patriotic he talks about the troops Tells them to kick some ass and get home And then we get more footage from Sunday Night Heat Where weird I mean right There's no Dudleys on this show And we have no RVD and Kane and We do get a Chief Morley Sighting that was Val Venus's uh, Character and he and Lance Storm Were uh, a tag team at that point they show some footage From earlier in the night On Sunday Night Heat and then it's Trish Stratus versus Jazz versus Victoria, who's the champ with Stevie Richards. Guys, uh, it's Fink now that introduces the the women. And I thought this match was pretty good. I wasn't expecting it to be as good because I'm thinking, ah, this is the time period. I don't know. But I, 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 I'm, I know Victoria's really good. And I love everything I've ever seen from Victoria. And even when she went on the TNA, she did a great job. I know Trish got very good around this time. And Jazz... Seems perfect in a match like this In a triple threat where you don't have to See as much of Jazz where she can Come in for brief flurries use her Strength show her athleticism Which is incredible I I was pleasantly surprised By this match Darren and again This is one thing that helps to complement A show quite a bit where you keep going Through and you know the Undertaker Big show match super forget uh, a train match Super forgettable this women's match for the time I thought was really good Yeah so 
I, I was actually going to say during this time period, this is one of the better women's matches that you'll see. And, mm -hmm. and it's actually, it's just, it's a good match in general. I thought, mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you, you know, jazz, maybe not the best worker, but my God, does she look like a monster? Oh man. She, she just it looks was, like a girl. And Jr. says, um, so, uh, she kind of compares her to Mike Tyson early on, yeah. which is, and she is real aggressive, and that's kind of a good comparison. Yeah. yeah, it is. She just looks like a really, really tough girl, and she plays that part well. She actually, um, she actually does have a couple of good moves here. There's like a bridged camel clutch early on on Trish. Uh, she hits this kind of spinning power slam uh, that she gets hit on by Victoria that she sells pretty well. I thought um, later on she actually does like this. Kind of a single leg Boston Crab into an STF, that crazy chicken wing finisher. So you got some more wrestling moves out of Jazz here uh, than you normally see. Victoria is a good worker. Trish is really coming to her own at this point. Uh, there's some really cool spots in here, a cool head scissors takedown. Um, there's a double shoulder breaker move. I, there's a lot of good stuff in the match. I don't really remember what the storyline was going into the match, but in a vacuum by itself, I enjoyed it. This is one of those finishes that maybe again kind of snuck up on you, but yeah, I thought just out it, of nowhere. I thought it worked here though. I, I thought I thought it worked here after a good solid match where you had kind of a bunch a bunch of believable false finishes throughout the match. Uh, I, I thought that this was a good time to have it sneak sneak up on you, where you know Victoria goes for that widow's peak move and Trish hits that you know chick kick and, and gets the one two three. Um, you know, I think it was a perfect time for, for this women's match. Uh, whatever it was, eight, nine minutes. It felt like the right time. It didn't drag. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, is, is it a four-star match? Probably not. But, you know, it, it, I would give it three and a quarter, three yeah. and a half stars. It was a solid match. Yeah. I like this match a lot. If you put this match on an episode of NXT or Raw or SmackDown, it doesn't seem out of place at all whatsoever. These ladies brought the working boots. And there are some people who don't remember Trish Stratus of this era being this kind of worker. They remember other things about Trish Stratus <laughs> that she was otherwise known for. But there's a reason that WWE has brought her back a couple of times over the past couple of years. And she had a very good match with Charlotte this past yep. year. I think it was SummerSlam last she's year. In phenomenal shape right now. She She's in the best shape now, better shape now even than then. And she was in great shape on this show. But yeah, she, yeah, she can go, man. I forget she did a, and it just this shows you because Trish wasn't a trained wrestler. Trish no. wasn't ever supposed to be a trained wrestler. This is what she worked to get to this point. She worked to get to to being a believable wrestler in the women's division. I mean, she she was the top of the women's division for years. Her strikes, her forearms, they looked really good. Darren mentioned how. Jazz is super aggressive Victoria, she's good all around The heels work on Trish early Victoria hits a nice power slam um, And, you know, you get a little sloppy offense here and there But they were working really hard They are working at a quick pace Jazz hits that single leg uh, I think Darren mentioned, the Boston Crab She hits an STFU uh, Victoria with a, a kick to the head Then she, she misses a Beautiful looking moonsault that was just like textbook. I love that. that. It was looked great. great, but I mean, I should just get it was supposed to miss. And then Stevie Richards comes in, which was a funny spot. So he comes in with a chair, like he's about to wail on Trish with a chair. <laughs> like, come on, what you, right? We're gonna see that. So yeah. Trish ducks. He hits the ropes with a chair, and it bounces off and nails him right in the face. And Jr. just says, 
What an idiot. Hit himself in the face. It was really funny. That's your me. WrestleMania moment there, Steve. <laughs> Take advantage of it. Two things here before I move ahead, on, please, though. Please. Um, one cringeworthy moment apiece from each member of the announced team. Gino, you mentioned before this match, they send a shout-out to the troops, and JR says, get this done quick. Yeah. 17 and a half years later, no, eh, right. not so much. Swing right, and a yeah. miss on that one. We'll move on. Now, just in case either of you were compelled to do so, some very good words of wisdom from Jerry the King Lawler. Never call Trish a dog. We can talk about her puppies, but don't call her a dog. Oh, my God. I can't that do one. that today. I Everybody missed, drink. I missed that one. That is, yeah. that is great. I missed that one. Um, yeah, this this was... Uh, this was good. Trish gets the little offense in there on on uh, on Stevie. She hits the, the uh, Stratisfaction and and she hits a kick sort of out of nowhere. But as Darren mentioned, it worked. It, it worked more in this match than I think it did um, a little earlier, maybe in the Ray Matt match. That kind of felt like that one came more and and still had a another little level or a few more minutes to go. This was good. The ladies went what uh, over seven minutes here, like seven fifteen or so. And uh, as Darren said, one of the better women's matches around this time period that you'll see. Uh, next up, we get Hollywood Rock, and this was Rock as the heel. the The Rock had gone and started filming movies, and as he did, the crowd started to turn on on the Rock, and so the Rock, which is something they should have done with the with Roman Reigns, what do they do with the Rock? They let him feed into it. They let him become a heel, and he just does a great job with this to the point where at the end of his match with Austin, the crowd doesn't even want to boo him anymore. They want to cheer him because it was a great match, and he's putting on such a great performance here. So Coach is backstage with Hollywood Heel Rock, and Rock talks trash to all the people who booed him last year. They chanted sellout to The Rock. You see, The Rock is a sellout. He sold out every damn WrestleMania he's ever been in. Tonight, The Rock could care less about the people. The Rock is here for one reason and one reason only, to fulfill his destiny, to beat Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania right in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. The one thing that consumes The Rock. Call it the biggest night of his, he calls it the biggest night of his life. And he says that Austin has beaten The Rock twice, but it's here, uh, and it's, it's, there's one thing that Hollywood's taught me. It's that act one and act two don't matter. I like that. That was that was cool. And uh, says the only thing that everyone remembers is Act Three, the end, the climax, the grand finale. He calls it the end of the greatest rivalry this industry has ever seen. When Stone Cold Steve Austin goes one on one with a gridiron beaten, pie eating, not afraid to sweat, not afraid to bleed, gonna beat that bald headed bastard Garen damn teed. And he slows it down and he says, "Then, Coach, The Rock." Would have done it all. Finally. Finally. He walks away. I love that one, guys. I thought that was a really great promo. I got. I thought that, I thought that was a really good imitation of the promo. Big, it was, big, it was good. good. Yeah, um, I love it. I got to tell you, though, this promo was the embodiment of a couple of storylines that I wish WWE would do more of. Here's the key. And this is not hard. This is as simple as it gets. Wins and losses matter. Yep. yep. I mean, th- this mattered so much to both The Rock and Steve Austin. When The Rock says, this is the holy grail, the one thing I've never done, it consumes me. 
It eats me alive. Compare that with promos we get for guys talking about, oh, I want an opportunity. I want an opportunity at a championship. It's apples and oranges. Yeah, it is. And it should not be that complicated to instill an environment where wins and losses matter. For a while, NXT had that, but now they're going more to the network model where it's two hours and it's a little bit more of a watered-down product in keeping with Raw and SmackDown. Wins and losses should matter. And that's what made this storyline so great. That's what made the HBK Jericho storyline so great. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And there were a couple other storylines in this show where that was a big thing, too. It shouldn't be complicated. And a lot of the things that make wrestling as appealing as it can be have to do with little, simple Simple. details that nobody does anymore. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like when McMahon, you know, gave everybody a peek behind, you know, over the fourth wall where, you know, admitted that this is sports entertainment, I feel that an unfortunate result of that maybe unintended uh is that we got away from the win-loss stuff yep because it became well if everybody knows that this stuff is scripted you know the story far outweighs the the end result and he says that darren what you just said when you hear other wrestlers talk about it that's what he tells them yeah, he tells them yeah. when they when they go to bat for themselves or and not even in like a hey I need to win this when they say this seems weird for my character or the storyline like why would this happen now and not tomorrow or next week he always says well everybody knows now pal they know it's okay the wins and losses don't matter those are things that the wrestlers say that's why we mention it because he actually does say and and think that and and talk people into into that things that way for those reasons. Yeah, and there's also the other aspect of they're not trying to necessarily build stars anymore. If they build stars now, great, it's a happy accident. They're trying to build their brand. WWE. Big, big difference. Yeah, and and the weird thing about it now is that they, they try to build stars while simultaneously at times giving them storylines where they consistently lose. Yep. Um, in big spots. Uh, you mentioned Roman Reigns. You know, Roman Reigns obviously is the guy that, you know, got the biggest push of the last five or six years in the company. And sure, I mean, he's had some huge wins, you know, Undertaker, WrestleMania, Triple H at WrestleMania. But, you know, during the, the real big push in the beginning, you know, that dude lost a lot. Yeah, you know, and they're, they're extending it. It's another yeah. month. They were doing yeah. it. With, they go too much with it. It was like the yeah. Lex Luger, Luger syndrome, you know, and they keep dragging it on to the point where you don't care. They almost what? got in trouble with that with Daniel Bryan, too. They were very yeah. close. Yeah. Really, yeah. really close. They kept pulling it out to the point where if they didn't give him that WrestleMania run, they would have ruined him. He, yeah. he would have never been a main event legitimate guy when he was the hottest guy in the company for a year, year and a half and putting on these great tag matches and the stuff with Kane and he's doing this awesome stuff with Orton. And it's just, you see the difference in philosophy from, you know, when we do these rewatches from what they did 20, 25 years ago. And, and you know, we, we're, we're really hitting it. It's just, they keep pulling the, the, the rug out from everyone. As soon as they get there, they don't give them the opportunity and it's a bummer because we don't seem to get the magic like we get here 
with a rock stone cold storyline. I, I was just watching, you know, Raw last night, and I'm wondering, and it just feels like there are so few things out there right now that would even get me really excited. I think maybe like a cool Kevin Owens babyface run where he got a shot to to maybe actually get get the you know get the ball behind him would be fun. There's maybe a couple guys that I see that I, that I I you know could be excited for, but there's not a ton out there because just like you said Andrew, we've seen him win, lose, win, lose, 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 win, lose, lose. It's just back and forth and back and forth and um uh, we, uh, it's a little unfortunate for us uh, wrestling fans. Let's let's move along. We could we could do a whole uh, podcast on that topic uh, and alone. We should at some point. Uh, we way. really this should. Is no. Pretty cool. It is. It is. <laughs> um, okay. So now we get the tag match. This and this match is about exactly what you would imagine. Seeing the guys that are in it, it's Los Guerrero. So you get Eddie and Chavo Guerrero. You have Chris Benoit and Rhino as a team. Boo! And, you, and you have Team Angle, Shelton Bel- Benjamin, and Charlie Haas. And to start, all six men go at it. Eddie's looked really big at this point, and they're all taking turns. Shelton hits a you know this crazy leg drop when um, when uh, it goes for a pin, and Eddie breaks it. Eddie breaks it up with a frog splash. This was a great spot. Rhino hits a nasty spear, as you would imagine from Rhino. Um, Shelton steals the pin, and well, I mean nine ma- nine minutes. Nothing that is super memorable Or uh, you're not going to think of this As the greatest tag matches ever It's not going to be bad when you see these guys They can all work Rhino's a big dude who can move Andrew You know, drink, drink, drink <laughs> And and the Guerreros were having Incredible tag matches Eddie was one of those unsung heroes Of uh, this few year period Where he's just having great matches With everyone on the card in tags And then when he was up to the main event So it just it didn't jump off the page to me It felt like with another few minutes It could have stepped up and taken another level Darren, but it was fine Tag match, just Nothing that I could, I will, you know, really write home about It felt a little rushed to me It felt like they like they crammed a lot of moves And a lot of stuff in a mm-hmm. short period of time mm-hmm. uh, I thought the match, this was a match That could have been a little bit longer um, And I think I, I could also think that Having back-to-back triple threat matches is probably not the best idea either. Um, I a lot think of similar spots, that, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of similar spots. You kind of just saw this, you know, even though it was women and tag team, so it's different. Uh, I think that probably, you know, hurts it a little bit as well. Um, I thought the finish was good. I liked how they did that. You know, everybody got their spots in. Um, you know, there's a cool snap suplex, a couple of uh, high-angle back suplexes there. Um, you know, obviously Rhino doing his, you know, spear, which they call the gore. Gore! Uh, back- gore! Gore! <laughs> um, you know, but then, I mean, there's a nice spot where Benoit catches Eddie into a beautiful superplex. Um, yeah, I mean, Chavo goes through his thing where he, like, takes out everybody with a with a series of moves. There's a, there, there's a lot of good wrestling in here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just kind of feels like there's no story because the match is just a lot of good wrestling. Jammed into like, everybody's got to get our spots in real quick. We, we yeah. got nine instead of 14, like we were supposed to yeah. get, you know, yeah. it was 14, 15. I think this match probably would have been a lot better. Uh, I mean, look, it, it wasn't bad and it can't be bad because everybody in here can go, like you said. Um, but it just wasn't that memorable, you know, for me, it, it, it was it was fine, it just wasn't great. Fun fact watching Benoit matches is easier 
if right when you hear his music, the eh, 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 you flip both middle fingers square at the television. It's a great <laughs> therapeutic device. Now, one of the things that I thought was really cool about this match, and you've got to look really closely or you'll miss it. When Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin come out, they're doing the thing where they're wearing the hoodies and they're mm-hmm. super focused and whatnot. And Benjamin does that. Charlie Haas, though, if you look really closely, you can see him sort of peeking out from his hood just to see the massive amounts the of people in the building. Little star and I struck. thought yeah. that was really cool yeah. because this was not a guy that was supposed to be a big star. He didn't know how many more of these moments he was supposed to have, and he wanted to make the most of this one. So power to him for that. This match was fine. Wouldn't have been out of place on a SmackDown this was half of the SmackDown six, as they would be called during the Paul Heyman era. You have the Guerreros, you have Benoit. The other three, I believe, were Angle, Edge, and Mysterio, if yep. I have that right. That sounds yep. about right. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guerrero-Benoit stuff, brutally difficult to watch for me. We won't get into why, but that's just really tragic there. Uh, it wasn't bad. I liked Eddie doing the frog splash to break up a pin. Yeah, that I thought was cool. that was a pretty cool spot. I liked the finish as well. Nobody was hurt by that and the way that that went down. Team Angle escapes with the tag belts. It fit their character. This was fine. I'll agree with Darren. Would have benefited a lot from three or four more minutes. We get the cat fight girls one more time with uh, Stacy and Tori. They argue over who made WrestleMania, and then the cat fight girls uh, argue. And what's great is one of them calls Hulk, uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, H-U-L-G-A-N Just is like, uh-oh I, 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 bought, I botched the name of Basically the biggest star in the history Of wrestling, uh-oh uh, So, th- this next match I think So this is 2003 There was about a two-year period in my life I think from 2003 to about 2005, when I was Like sophomore, junior, senior in high school And I was Playing soccer, coaching soccer, coaching multiple teams. And I sort of, I kind of forget, but I sort of got out of wrestling. I just wasn't watching it week to week. I popped in for some of the pay per views here and there because I had the black box. But I think this was the time period where I wasn't watching as much of a week to week. And I really forgot a lot about this Michaels and Jericho match and the feud and the storyline leading up to it because they have a, another really great storyline um, a couple years after this. And I, guys, I love this freaking match. I really did. So uh, good. So I good. I really love this match. Uh, this is Jericho versus Shawn Michaels. This is all about the legacy for Chris Jericho. Shawn, who just returned at SummerSlam in 2002, he was the world champion at the Survivor Series in 2002. And remember, Jericho, he's already been the undisputed champion at this point. He defeated The Rock and Austin the same night, but somehow he still doesn't quite feel like a main eventer yet. He doesn't, he still feels like a guy who. May have popped in there and then he's still Like an intercontinental level High IC level type guy This was I mean this has got to be one of Jericho's Best matches and this was By far his best match at the Time I do remember reading and and Even reading up on this that A lot of the, the, the gripe on Jericho at this point was that he hadn't Had any of those classics like we may have Seen him have in Japan or maybe a few of the Cruiserweight matches that he had in WCW He hadn't really had any barn burners He had a lot of solid matches But nothing really incredible And this one is, is definitely Up there on that short list for Jericho We get that build up, we get the video package And this is a great build, it started back In December 
And then the Rumble, Jericho wanted to be him And he got told by many people He kind of is, is the next Shawn Michaels Now he wants to be better And then he wants to end Shawn's career at Mania Jericho comes out first This is when they start mentioning the filming of Wrestlemania the movie That ended up being this really weird sense of dumb luck for WWE they, They're talking about filming this movie, Wrestlemania That's going to be one of their WWE Studios first releases And it, what ends up happening is They get all this backstage footage from this night That ends up being one of the most important nights in, in the history of their company Where Austin ends up having his last match Angle has this you know, he Angle shouldn't even be wrestling in the condition that he is. Brock ends up getting that big injury. You get all the backstage stuff with Hogan, with Vince, with Rock. It's it ends up being just a total blessing in disguise that they get all this footage and um, and they end up you know using it for years to come on different documentaries, different shows, different specials. And so there's a slow feeling out process. Jarek uh, Jr. runs down Shawn Michaels' credentials. And King is mad that the fans have been calling Jericho an ass clown Because Jericho made that up um, We get a baseball si- a slide by Sean Cross body and roll through Jericho with a nice spinning heel kick JR reminds us that Sean hasn't been in a big match at WrestleMania since 98 This is his first mania back Sean skins the cat Head scissors Jericho over the top He goes flying over the top They do uh, some work outside the ring Sean goes for a drop kick But Jericho catches him in, puts him in the walls of Jericho And then Jericho works on Sean A little more outside the ring And Jericho's taunting the fans He has the advantage now for a little while He, he covers Sean with one foot to kind of mock him And then Sean counters a back body drop With a DDT That Jericho sells really really well Both men are down And then this is great Jericho starts to go into Sean Michaels cosplay now He hits the flying forearm And then the nip up And then he poses like Sean and then Sean nips up while Jericho's celebrating And Sean attacks him from behind Sean fires up He hits a moonsault Now things are starting to pick up After that slow feeling out process They're going back and forth Pin counters And you get a bulldog Then a lion salt Jericho for two He's starting to get pissed off Because Sean keeps kicking out And nothing's working uh, Jericho locks in the walls of Jericho Sean gets to the ropes And then Sean counters the walls For a, a close near fall small package he hits uh, Jericho hits an awesome reverse elbow off the top rope. Y2J starts tuning up the band. He does a little side shuffle and he hits sweet chin music. It looked pretty good. A lot of times when when guys try to do someone else's moves, it doesn't look great, but this one looked pretty pretty good. And the little shuffle added to it. And um, then Sean goes for the walls of Jericho, but he can't get it locked in. We see a lot of that throughout the night. Guys using the the others move. Um. Let's see, both men are up at the top rope Jericho goes for a suplex This was kind of a, it was almost a botch It it was close to being bad Jericho is going for a suplex Sean counters into a cross body And they almost, Sean almost lands A little high on Jericho Up by his head and neck, it was real close But they're still okay They they managed to to work through it, it doesn't look awful Um, Sean goes to the top and then Jericho kicks the referee into the ropes, which is a great spot. Sean ends up, you know, crotching himself on the ropes. And then Sean um, face plants Jericho off the top. And Jericho has another brutal landing, flying elbow from Sean. He goes from sweet shin music. Jericho ducks and gets the walls on. And, um, you know, Darren, I've gone through most of this match here and we get up to the very end, but I'm sure you'll pick out a few things that, that I didn't. 
this thing went around 22 and a half minutes And I, I mean I, I was just I, I watched this match back again uh, Right afterward just to pick up some of the things That I thought I missed because I loved it The psychology you see these two guys And this was a lot of the best of Chris Jericho So if you want to watch A match that gives you Both a combination Of amazing technical Wrestling and phenomenal Storytelling This is one of the matches that I would point you to um, It's a great Story you know, Y2J emulates Sean, grew up idolizing Sean. I'm in the ring with the guy who's the reason I do what I do. Um, you get a lot of the stuff with Sean's back early on. They sell that quite a bit. So th- that's a really cool nod to the past from five years ago, four years ago, and why Sean has been out. Um, I love the constant reversals, uh, the constant counters. Uh, it, it That's just like... You know, that's like when Bret Hart would have a good match, and that was constantly what was going on with those reversals and counters because it's just phenomenal wrestling. There's a Northern Lights suplex in there by Jericho. That's ridiculous. Um, there's, I mean, the the, the finish, I, I love this finish. I, I thought it's one of the better kind of cradle roll-ups that, that, that you'll ever see. Um, it catches you a little bit by surprise, but again, this is one of the good surprises because you've had so many false finishes here. Super kicks, guys kicking out, getting out of the walls, lion salts. I mean, you thought like 20 minutes in where, you know, Jericho's yelling at the ref. He runs back and, you know, get, gets hit with the super kick. Sean crawls over. You're like, oh, this is it. And one, two, kick out. I mean, the entire building thought that was the end of the match and was shocked when it, when it kicked out. Um, you know, there's a crazy back bump. Before the finish as well, when when Jericho grabs him and you know then HBK rolls him up. I, I mean, I can't say enough positive things about about the match. It's one of my favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. Uh, and then at the end, you get what you think is going to be a really cool moment with Jericho. <laughs> this is so where great. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome! Like, look at it, <laughs> teacher. Oh, this is great. And then you get. I won't say a better moment, but another cool moment when he when he kicks him in the balls. Uh, you know, it's like it's like it went from being a really cool moment for one reason to being a really cool yeah. moment for an entirely different reason, uh, which is like it just tells the the entire story uh, of the entire match. Um, look, I mean, I, I could highlight a million moves in this match, and and like you did, you know, and just you know, it, it's great storytelling. It's great wrestling, you know, the heel flex pose pin and, you know, kind of like in front of him with the, you know, with, with the flex and HBK kips up, you know, and comes after him. I mean, it's all just so damn good. Um, and yeah, uh, at this point, Jericho really, you know, for backstory, Jericho really needed this match. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you said very well, he didn't get to that main event point yet. But he hadn't really had that classic match yet. And this was the big one for him. And by the way, five years later, these two go on to have a ladder match yeah. at No Mercy. That's completely ridiculous also. Um, and and they're pretty close in terms of match quality for different reasons. Um, but yeah, um, um, Jericho needed the match. HBK delivered in his first WrestleMania back. So many great things about this match. Uh, and you could say stole the show. 
All right, we'll go beginning to end here because when I said that there were some storylines where wins and losses mattered, this is one of them. The hype video has Jericho outright saying, I grew out of wanting to become the next Shawn Michaels and wanted to become the first Chris Jericho. HBK tells Jericho to be a man. Jericho says his skills have surpassed HBK's. So good, so simple. 31 writers in WWE, take notes. You don't have to do much. You don't need to overcook some ridiculous plot. Do this. This never gets old. HBK comes out, does his entrance. He is visibly pumped. He does a little dance up at the top. Mm -hmm. He knows that he's made it back. He's got to bounce the bounce and the step for sure. The important thing to note here, HBK was not back on a full-time basis yet. HBK worked the one match at SummerSlam against uh, Triple H. That was a very good match. Came back at the Rumble, did his thing. Then went into the program with Jericho. He was not a full-time guy yet. It wasn't a case where he just came back and was working every week. This wasn't that. There was genuine concern over Sean's body at this point. Mm -hmm. Michaels goes out to the ring, tries to get the confetti guns going, and two of them misfire. And I just, <laughs> I, I can't help but think what Vince McMahon must have been thinking at that point. There would have been a couple, damn it, exclamations in there, I'm sure, directed at the guns and or the people who were supposed to point them there. That's a good little dose of humor for you. He gets into the ring. The big pyro by the Safeco Field sign. Oh, God, that is so good. I, it, it's, that sign was made for that kind of pyro display. And Sean did the pose twice. And the first time had the pyro in the ring. He turns around, does it again. And I'm wondering, well, what's going on here? And then you look in the background and it's, whoa! Yeah. Really cool stuff that you get from being in a stadium that you don't necessarily get from being in an arena setting. So these were two guys selling absolutely everything for each other. And HBK is selling this back when Jericho goes after it like Jericho's running a steamroller over it. Jericho gets the walls outside the ring, breaks the count going back in to try to inflict more damage on him, works the back pretty consistently. I love the nip-up spot where Jericho poses and HBK pops up and goes, really, dude? Really? But the spot in the match that I love the most, Jericho gets HBK into the walls, There's genuine suspense because he had been in the walls a couple of times. His back had been getting worked on. Michaels reaches the ropes. Jericho breaks the hold and he's crying. Oh, yes. He goes to the referee and says, (laughs) he tapped out. He tapped out. He's trying to convince himself that he tapped out. And at that point, there are some spots in certain matches where the wrestlers know, okay, we got him. That's the we got him moment right there. That was so, so good. Michaels pops up. They do the finishing sequence. They go home. It's a great match. End of the match. They do the hug. (laughs) Jericho knees Michaels in the balls. JR is in peak JR form at this point. Flipping out. I am damn sure proud to see that. Oh, come on. What a bloody ass cheap shot. (laughs) You talk about being a sick, pathetic loser. (laughs) So good. So they go back up the ramp and someone, I don't know who Jericho doesn't out this person. 
someone goes up and yells at Jericho and Shawn Michaels for going long. Hmm. Now, Jericho had had a series of incidents in WWF, WWE, where he had heat. Sometimes it was justified. Sometimes it was some of the worst luck imaginable. Jericho's second book goes into this in depth, and it's fascinating. Michael stops the guy, and Michaels goes, when you have a match like that, you can go as long as you damn well want. That match could have gone another 10 minutes, and it would have been great. And I'm glad Darren mentioned the ladder match at No Mercy many years later. They actually had three different matches. It was a trilogy on pay-per-views. All three matches, very different, with very different styles and stories that were being told. If you haven't seen that trilogy, do yourself a favor and queue it up on the network. It is so good. These two guys had such good chemistry, and it made sense because the story they were telling was these guys were mirror images of each other. It's not quite mirror images, but they work similarly enough to where they told that story, and they told that story many times about as good as you can tell it. Yeah, just just love this. As Darren said, and, and you know, can't say enough good things about it. We all went through the specifics. Damn, damn good match. And if I'm ranking and and do it in your head a little bit, um, and we'll talk about this at the end after the the third. If I'm ranking the three matches on this show that I thought were were all very very good matches, Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, The Rock versus Stone Cold, and Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar, this one to me is one of those is number one in that in those three rankings. Is it just Story, work rate, everything Two guys that I really, really like when they go in there Told just a phenomenal, phenomenal story Um, Backstage, we see the referee Sylvain Grenier The one who helped Vince screw over Hulk at the previous pay-per-view When Hulk Hogan had made his return uh, in a match against The Rock And he enters Vince's dressing room So they tease a little something for later on That Vince uh, will have a, a ref in the bag and then uh, limp, my notes. Limp Biscuit performs five minutes. I skipped over, <laughs> so <Yeah>. this was <laughs> this was exactly five minutes of uh, of showtime that I just skipped over. Um, I I don't mind, and this is just a little too much. Limp Biscuit. We actually did get another Tony Chimmel uh, introduction where he said something similar. Our favorite band again, Limp Biscuit, and they. At least because they have the tie-in with The Undertaker and the entrance song and stuff At least they fit, I'm fine with them Playing the entrance song out This was just a little bit too much I'm okay with three limp, three minutes of Limp Biscuit. We got about eight or nine minutes of Limp Biscuit On this show, that just is a little too much Um, okay Now Coach introduces The Wrestlemania Cat fight J- Jerry the King Lawler is as excited As you would imagine And there is a bed out there on the um you know the the it's as big as my apartment my I goodness jeez this bed is massive it's honestly got to be 10 feet long a bed like it, it, huge and a bunch of pillows and the girls the first it's the uh the cat fight girls and they crawl up towards each other uh, they're getting ready for a pillow fight and then we hear Stacy Keebler's music she comes out she says the only thing better than two girls in bed is three. And then Coach says, we're going to have a three-way tonight. He's all excited. Um, then Tori Wilson comes out. They start fighting, 
and coach is calling the action like he's calling the play by play of these that was that was the fun, one of the funnier spots i thought of this is that he's legitimately trying to call the play by play as like one girl is is spank is spanking the other girl literally smacking her she's got her like in a pinning combination and she's just 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 whacking her and and coach is there i could have done without seeing coach in his underwear here this it's 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 weird. This feels out of place when we see w- what we saw just a few matches earlier with a, a really good women's match, Darren. I'm, I mean, they, they, I know at this point, and we saw why they did some of this. They had a lot of really good looking girls, and a lot of these girls on the roster at the point weren't trained wrestlers like nowadays. But it just it it felt a little weird. This felt like something that was more of like in '98. Than what was actually happening in 2003 When you had Trish and Victoria And other girls that you could get on the show And that could really wrestle I, I was watching this Just going, Jesus Like, yeah. what, what, how did they get away Forget how about things like this Um, I mean, the, the, the part of this match Like the beginning Where, where, where Tori Like rolls up Stacy And is like, like Are you kidding me? <laughs> my my wife is like we were watching it together and she's like she didn't watch wrestling at this time she she watched it um you know she was a, a late 80s you know early to mid 90s girl and then you know it came back around the time that we started dating so she missed this period but she's sitting there going well now i know why you kept watching all those years <laughs> um look i mean it's just wild to say the least i mean there was a lot of stuff that went on, you know, at times, you know, you remember the, you know, the edge and Lita celebration on raw. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that you just look at and go, Holy crap. Like how in the world did they ever get away with this stuff? Um, and you remember, uh, Andrew, I'm sure you saw it, you know, Vince McMahon, uh, did an interview with Bob Costas a couple of times on, on the, uh, on the, his HBO show years and years ago. And one of the topics that Bob brought up was, you know, how Vince treated the women, um, you know, in the company. And uh, I believe they, I believe there's a storyline going on with with Trish at that. It was either Trish or Tori, I forget at that time. And they were and they were bringing up the stuff that, you know, Vince was doing to some of these women. And you know, and this is, you know, you're talking 20 years ago. Bob Costas is saying. You know, you, you can't do this stuff. And Vince was defending it, saying, "You know, it's a soap opera, man. You know, if you keep watching out with Trish right in front of Linda and doing stuff you, like that, yeah. right? If you keep watching the story to the end, you know, the the woman is gonna is gonna, you know, she's gonna be the one that ends up standing tall at the end, and I'm gonna get what I have coming to me. And you know, Bob's like, "Well, that's all well and good, but you know, you still got this girl standing there in in a bra and panties, and you're spanking her in the ass." Like how, how in the world do you think yeah. that's okay? Yeah. You know, and and looking back on it, it's just kind of like in this spot, it's just kind of shocking to think that as like at one point we all watched this thinking that this it didn't was feel yeah, it yeah. didn't feel like off. Yeah, no. and Andrew, I don't know about you, but now like watching it, I don't watch it the way I did back then. Now I watch it just shaking my head, going, "My God, how in yeah. the world did yeah. they do this?" All right, everybody, get your glasses ready. You can't book this today. 
And this is my only no- 2003, right? No, We're not talking and- about 80, 80 stuff. No, my notes for this match are literally everything you'd expect. Like, you have three buxom models and Stacy Keebler, whose legs are about 500 miles long. You have a bed with a whole bunch of pillows. You have not a whole heck of a lot of clothes. Yeah, this is about what you'd expect. I mean, this would be the spot where in WrestleManias of years past, they'd have an intermission. Uh, right. There was the, the segment before with Limp Biscuit, and then you have this. It works out to about 15 minutes. This was their way of intermission. And the thing that jumped out to me, at least, was the vantage point that the crowd must have had for this. It couldn't have been particularly good no. because this was off to the side. It wasn't in the ring, even. It, it wasn't it, in the ring. It was on top of yeah. the ramp, and it was underneath where Limp Biscuit was playing from. It just... If you were live there, that couldn't have been a particularly great viewing experience. Even if you bought a ticket solely to see the Miller Lite girls beat each other up with pillows. And if you did, I really hope in the 17 and a half years since then, you've gotten the help you needed. Uh, There's stuff on the Internet that's much more rewarding and much more easily accessible. But (laughs) this was what it was. Um, Look. This was 17 and a half years ago, so I was uh, 14, I think, at the time. That was who they were marketing mm-hmm. to. Yep. They were marketing to people going through puberty. We were all in that you know, general age group. Gino, I think you're a year older than me. Yep. Darren, you're a couple years older than us, but it's that age group. It was yep. the, you know, the 14 to 15-year-olds to people that are in college or want to be in college. Well, and, that, and, and that was the different, yeah. too, is that that was a, a lot of the... Um, and it, the appeal for many of the re- older wrestling fans that that ha- their appeal was NWA wrestling and early WCW wrestling versus the theatrics that were WWF. And when we talk theatrics, we're just talking more pageantry. And then it became a little bit more of this. And that's where some of the older wrestling fans wanted more of a a pure wrestling product to get into because they just didn't get into the stuff that was, you know, pointed towards a younger. Um, adolescent audience Which is exactly what this was I mean this is to get all the guys pumped I can't imagine any girls out there Were like watching this interested or excited Or going like hey that could be me After you just saw Trish Stratus Throw throw down a really good match Yeah, she you know? was, so, yeah Trish was great Jazz was great yeah. Victoria was great And on Gino back to your point You're right this did feel out of place But I'd argue that was just as much A function of that triple threat match being about 10 years ahead of its that's, time. That's a good point. And I think point. that's a credit to Trish, Jazz, Victoria, Stevie Richards even. He helped with that. The agents in the back. That's the kind of match that ultimately set the stage for what we're seeing now. We're seeing the four horsewomen. We're seeing Io Shirai. We're seeing Rhea Ripley. All these women that can tear it up. And that doesn't happen without matches like that triple threat match. And thankfully, we have gone that direction as opposed to the direction of some of the Attitude Era segments. Look, we all loved this segment when we were that age. The difference is we grew out of it, and I'm happy wrestling has grown out of it in general. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Up next is Triple H versus Booker T. Here we go. Here we go. So 
it's funny when when you, what wrestling fandom does to you and how you look at different wrestlers through the years, right? So for me, I'm a Bret Hart guy as my first ever wrestler that I really, really loved, really was into. So some of the wrestlers who were Bret's rivals or opposed Bret, I was always on the Bret side. So that meant early on, Shawn Michaels took me a little while to warm up to Shawn Michaels. You know, Stone Cold. Took me and everybody was really hot on Stone Cold. I was still on the Brett side, you know. It took me a little while there. So Triple H being on the DX side, on the opposite of you know, in the Sean side, on the opposite of, of of Brett, it always took me a little while to warm up to Triple H. And 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 Triple H gets a lot of crap for a lot of things he's done through the years. And I, for the most part, am not very hard on him. I think he's done great things now in in his new role with NXT. He has a lot of real quality matches and really good work. This is the worst thing that he has ever done in his entire life. If this was a movie, if this whole story, the whole Triple H versus Booker T, from the moment that Booker T became the number one contender and the buildup for this whole storyline, from beginning to the end when Triple H wins this match at the very end, this would be the worst movie or worst story ever. There's no ending that makes sense There's no feel good There's absolutely no arc whatsoever The bad guy just wins If you want to have Triple H Win the belt back from Booker After this In a month or two And Triple H is going to be your guy Going forward That's fine, I understand all of that The way this match was built up With all of the racial undertones Getting into Booker T's backstory Everything that happened to him being in jail All of his hardships He has to win this match Unquestionably He has to win this match There is And and Dave Meltzer even says That he was Everything that they did He was supposed to win this match And Triple H just changed it last minute You can completely I can get on the same page with you As saying Hey, Triple H is a much bigger star than Booker T That's fine Triple H was going to be probably a much bigger star than Booker T That's fine This was the moment for Booker T to win this match And not only The match is too long It plods a little bit It's a very Triple H when he's in this era Of he's trying to be Harley Race You know And and, and doing a lot of flair stuff The way the ending is With you know how long he takes before he pins Booker T Darren when we talk about You know the Hulk Hogan's holding guys back We talk about Vince who's done some you know Shady things through the years And Nash who I got mad about And the WCW show that we talked about This might be one of the worst All time things that's happened In a storyline in a match and, and and I'm so disappointed Watching this thing back Because it just He does not need to win this match here he doesn't. This should not have happened. Yeah, I, you know, oh boy, <laughs> there's so many things. There's so many things going on. Um, look, on that point first, triple, like you said, he, he gets a lot of flack that that's probably not entirely deserved. Um, you know, and, and the subject of you know him going over too often. You know, I mean, the guy, the guy's got a, a terrible WrestleMania record. Yeah. Uh, Granted, granted, he lost to the Undertaker three times, so that's that's a part of his WrestleMania. And Warrior once too in a squash. And, and right, and Warrior once in a squash, correct. 
Um, so, you know, we do need to keep that in mind. You know, I, I thought he should have – I, I personally thought he shouldn't have won the match against Sting. I didn't get that ending yeah. either. Um, and we Goldberg, could debate. Didn't he beat Goldberg at – or not Goldberg, uh, Lesnar. He beat Lesnar at WrestleMania. Yeah, he beat Lesnar. And they too, lost but, to him later, but yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's weird ones. Yeah. That at least had a story to it that made a little sure. sense. Um, you know, the sting the sting one I didn't really understand what the point was of having this huge sting push coming back with that awesome Survivor Series moment, and then he loses the WrestleMania match. That made absolutely no sense to me. But this is worse for so many reasons. Number one, before you even get to this quote-unquote feud, he worked one of the worst programs you've ever seen in your life with Scott Steiner um, before this. Where I mean, his match with Steiner at the Royal Rumble is horrendous. Hose down. Uh, I mean, yeah. and, and when it comes back to it, he was basically given this title. Yes, yes, he was. To start so, out. Yeah, exactly. So th- this entire run of Triple H is a cluster. Now, you talked about the racial undertone. I mean, we can use the word undertones, but it was as passive-aggressive as it could get. I mean, you know, there was a promo a couple of weeks before where Triple H, you know, I, I went back and watched it, said things like, I think you're a little bit confused about your role in life here. You're going to go to WrestleMania, but the fact is, Booker, somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. People like you don't deserve it. It's reserved for people like me. You're not here to be a competitor. You're here to be an entertainer. That's what you do. You entertain people. And then he said to him, hell, you entertain me all the time. Go ahead and do a little dance for me. I mean, you have got to be kidding me. Like, forget about stuff you can't say now. You couldn't say that then. Like, that. I mean... Awful. And not let the guy get the comeuppance, right? And then you have the match... And like you said, if there was ever time for a guy to win, you know, it's kind of it was kind of like the Virgil DiBiase stuff, you know, like there was no way Virgil wasn't winning that match at SummerSlam. If this was a five to seven minute sort of squash match where Booker just unloaded on Triple H for everything and and got over, that would be fine. That would have yeah. been a, a much better way to book it, even though Triple H was going to be the bigger star. This was the moment. This was the build. They did a great – I mean, I we I hate the build in, in how bad it was because what happened at the end, right? It, that's what we – and so we can't – the build up to this was, was good in that it made Booker – this was as hot as Booker was ever in the WWE. I, I mean, at this point, I think King Booker stuff was good after. He had some good stuff with Goldust, but he was finally, like we were saying with Jericho – this was him starting to feel like he belonged. And I think, Andrew, you mentioned it when we were either teasing the show last week or maybe just to me. It's amazing that Booker T was ever over again after this. Yeah. Now, to give the necessary exposition on just how bad this was, Triple H had his ascendancy to the main event with a killer run of matches in 2000, 2001. He gets hurt. He tears a quad. He's out of action for almost a year. He comes back. And if you haven't seen the Madison Square Garden pop that he gets when he comes back, go watch it. It's deafening. 
the reaction that this guy gets. Yes, it's a total, you know, convergence of a whole bunch of things. You have an over guy coming back from injury. You have a top five all-time theme music, I think. I think that's absolutely perfect for him. And you have him coming back to get what's his. Problem. When he was away, he picked up 20 to 30 pounds of sheer bulk. Not muscle. Bulk. And there's only one way you can get that, folks. It's through a needle. So he comes back and... It is not as though he is a bad worker. The problem is he's not the kind of worker that was having the kinds of matches he had before his injury. Or Again, even, if, the hardcore ones with Foley, or even like you go a few years back with like matches that he'd have with Owen. Yeah, he it wasn't is, that one rehearsed. Yeah. Yes, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is it took him three or four years to figure out how to work these four-star matches with that style. It took him a while. Now, combine that with the fact that at this point, he's married to the boss's daughter, he's the top guy on Raw, and he is engaged in a number of horrible storylines. Darren, you mentioned the Scott Steiner one. Gino, I'm going to mention one that I think is worse than this. Katie. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) The stuff with Katie Vick was sickening. It was in horrible taste. And the less said about that, the better. So then you get the Booker promo. Booker T gets the title shot and Triple H tries to laugh him out of the building. Now, if you'd stuck with arrogant heel against wrong side of the tracks challenger, that's one thing. Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes did that for five years and printed money. Mm-hmm. There's a formula to that. But then you get someone like you doesn't get to be a world champion. Who thought that was a good idea? Now, this match. I've been building this up since I watched it a couple of nights ago. We need to drag Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, and this we is, need to this drag him hard. Yep, I got a lot I am on going, that too. Yep. I'm going to reel off four quotes in succession, okay? This isn't an order of how bad they are. This is the order in which I took them down. Number one, we want a world champion that is Johnny Cochran on speed dial? Yep, yeah. Number two, Booker should have known he'd never amount to nothing when he was born on a pool table. Number yeah. three, you know, Booker T., The guy whose family portrait is a courtroom sketch. Number four. We went to the mall and he tried to pay for everything with cigarettes. And and JR normally when he's doing this, there'll be one or two things that would be funny that would crack him. And JR was pissed. He was mad. He's not giving him anything. And And you could see three or four times throughout the show where JR was really like annoyed with King. Yeah, he really was getting on his nerves. And he actually shuts King up really good. Mm -hmm. And I and to Lawler's slight credit, I guess, he got the message yeah. because JR brought up the fact, Jerry, you're no stranger to the inside of a courtroom. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you look up Jerry Lawler's history and some of the things he's been accused of, yeah, that'd shut me up too if I was in Jerry Lawler's shoes. I think that was a case where either JR went off script or someone said in the JR's headset, yeah, I gotta rein him in now, pal. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff is happening. Booker's trying. 
Uh, Booker is, he's a mirror. And that's not a negative thing when you're talking about a guy like Booker T. If you put him in the ring with a world-class wrestler, you're going to get a world-class match. He proved that in the series with Voldemort in the late 90s. He would prove that with a couple of other really good workers as well throughout the course of his career. You put a good worker in with him, you'll get a good match. You put a mediocre worker in with him, you'll get a mediocre match. And that's what we have here because Triple H wasn't a great worker at this Mm -hmm. point. And you know this because he locks in the Indian death lock and JR tries to sell it like it's the most lethal submission move in the history of professional wrestling. Now, it's a fine submission move and it's a decent transition hold if you're trying to tell a story, work the leg, whatever. It is not Ric Ric Flair's figure four leg lock, easy for me to say. It's not the sharpshooter. No, didn't work. So... Then you get the finish. Triple H gets up when both guys are down. It's a pedigree. Both guys go down again. And I didn't clock this, but it was probably, how long was it, Gino? Okay, so Booker, Booker, when Booker hits his scissor scissor kick right before this, and he can't get to the cover, it's 19 seconds before he ends up rolling over and, and get the cover. It is 24 seconds after Triple H hits his pedigree before he covers Booker T for the one, two, three. Okay, I was going to say 30, so it's in the ballpark. So, lays down for what seems like forever, rolls over, three count, and that's it. Are you kidding me right now? This entire angle can only be salvaged if Booker T wins this match. Yeah. It doesn't, and you know what we'll even argue? I'll argue it doesn't even necessarily need to be for the title. It needs to be Booker getting the offense and Flair getting involved for a DQ. You know what? That works better than what we have here. And allegedly, allegedly, and now we're getting into rumors and stuff, and we don't necessarily 100% know if this is true or not. Allegedly, Booker was told up until the show, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. They signed Goldberg. And they decided to keep the belt warm for Goldberg. My problem with that is Goldberg didn't come right in and have a program with Triple H. Goldberg wouldn't win that title for another six months. What the heck are you doing here? This was a situation where maybe Booker wasn't ever going to be a super duper star. You give him a win here. And you see how far he can carry the ball. A month, even if yes. it's a, a, a lose on Raw with where Flair helps Triple H cheat to get yes. the title back. You but you give gave him the, him moment. the moment. Exactly. Yes. Precisely. Get out of my head, Gino. That's kind of scary. But you give him the moment. You give him the moment where he's posing with the belt. He does the pose and the fireworks go off with it. That's what you give him there. And it took him years to get back to that point. And he had to get back to that point with the King Booker gimmick, which looking back at personally, I don't think that gimmick had any right to be as successful as it was. And Booker made it work. That's a testament to how good of a worker Booker T was, especially with that kind of a character. He should have had his moment here. It should have even a DQ victory would have been something because it would have proven that Booker was on triple H's level. The way this was done was probably the worst it could have been and it was for no good reason 
Everybody involved should be ashamed of themselves. Jerry Lawler doesn't pay for this nearly as much as he should. And if anyone wants to dig up dirt on WWE and do a hit piece on some of the things that they've been doing, this match is as easy a target as any in the WWE library. You can hear how angry I'm getting right now just recapping this match. It's for good reason. This was flat out wrong. Oh, I need a breath. <laughs> and, and and I'll go through more than DZ. If you have anything else at the end, you can kind of clean up this match before we get into Hogan and Vince. So, um, I mean, yeah, honestly, one of the worst all-time booking decisions. So, um, another thing that was weird, right? Triple H gets announced first as the champion. Just kind I wrote of a that weird, down too. Yeah, yeah it's strange. It's kind of a weird thing. And King is just really bad mouthing Booker. Um, and he said, you heard what Triple H said about WCW That place was a joke I thought this was kind of a funny line And JR says to King, how long did you work for WCW? King says, never And JR says, well I did King says, well, was it a joke? JR says, damn right, but Booker wasn't So it was just funny um, Quick start for Booker And again, this is where you get the Ric Flair Like Harley Race stuff Triple H goes to the top rope twice in this match And gets caught as Andrew mentioned, he's trying to throw different things at the wall and see what's going to stick because he's a different style worker. He's trying to put on these these long like epics and 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 then really slow things down and pace it. And they're more like old territory matches than what would would fit really here. This is when Jr. makes or when King makes the pool table comment. Jr. says, "How the hell would you know that?" Who in the hell told you that? The Fink? He was drunk last night, so they just take a shot at the Fink right there. Poor um, Fink. Yeah, and it just A couple times I wrote down This is a very Triple H match It's just not bad It's just not great It's just there it, and, and knowing the ending it, When you watch it, it makes it even worse uh, You know, Jer- this is when King says he can't go. imagine going around the world Saying Booker T is our champion You know, the, the man whose family portrait is a courtroom sketch and JR, that's when JR starts getting back at him. He says, you know, King, you made mistakes and you're no stranger to a courtroom. King says, mistakes? Huh, me? And that's when he kind of, I think, gets a little bit embarrassed and shuts up a little bit. Um, Spinebuster from Triple H. Booker, it's a big DDT. And he gets that starry look in his eye. And then we get another one from uh, from King where he says, maybe he's thinking back to his days behind bars. Oh. It's like, oh, you know, and um, JR says, this is when Jr. is really getting mad. He says, "Hey, you should get off that horse. You've ridden it to the ground, and and it and it's done, you know." And um, King said, "That's when he he mentions the mall thing, and it just how you watch this again, and it's like, how does this guy with the way the commentary is too? How does he lose this match? Like King is laying it on so thick that the only thing possible is, oh, he wins, and even Booker can come over and tell King and like flip him off and tell him to screw off. You know, like that's the way this match is supposed to end. He's supposed to be standing over and telling everybody, look, you were wrong about me, not, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm not good enough. Um, Let's see, we get a big kick from Booker um, As Triple H goes off the top Again, why? Booker misses the scissor kick and goes over the top rope Flair um, starts working on Booker's knee He he tosses Booker into the steps That's when we get the Indian death lock And JR does go crazy I haven't seen anyone move this, use this move in 10 years in, uh, I mean, Booker's doing his best He's selling the knee Triple H tries to uh, whip tr- uh, Booker, uh, Booker into the turnbuckle And Booker falls over because his knee gives out and then Flair screams at him, get up, you damn fool. And JR's really getting mad at King. 
Booker gets a two count on a roll up We get a ref bump, another roll up Now a flying elbow from Booker That looked really great, coming off the ropes It's starting to feel like Booker is building up To get this win right now We get a scissor kick But then 19 seconds Before Booker's, uh, Booker's able to make his, uh, his His scissor, his cover After the scissor kick So he crawls over, pin One, two, just a two count So Flair uh, then Booker tries to go to the top rope Flair comes over, Booker nails him Triple H comes up to the top Booker knocks him off, here comes Flair again Booker hits a flying leg drop Off the top, a flip it Looks cool, but again 10 more seconds before he's able to cover Because he's selling his knee And then Flair um, Is able to put Triple H's leg On the bottom rope to save him there So just a two count, Booker T's leg Ends up giving out And then it's just boom, pedigree it takes 24 seconds They're both on the, on the ground Triple H crawls over for the pedigree It's the one, it's the two, it's the three In an era where we were getting guys doing each other's moves Two or three moves to kick out in the big matches This one was one pedigree to Booker After he'd laid there for 24 seconds And he still is not able to kick out I mean the match is okay The last five minutes are are. Good, just one of the worst booked endings One of the worst booked results I can remember About 19 minutes overall, it felt like 25 or more This is where Booker is supposed to win Flair's going crazy after the match He's calling Triple H the greatest of all time And uh, and Darren, it's just, um, in, in our opinions the What all of this was, was literally the opposite This was one of the worst things that I can remember yeah, I you know regarding the ending, not not only is it twenty four seconds till he gets pinned, but after the pedigree, Booker is laying on his stomach. He actually picks his arm up and rolls himself over, mm-hmm. and still gets pinned. So it's not like Triple H crawled over, rolled him over, and pinned him. Booker T rolled himself from being on his stomach. Two on his back. And I don't mean like right after. I mean like seven, eight, ten seconds after the pedigree. He picks his arm up, pushes up, and rolls himself over to get pinned. I mean, that that can't happen. None of this should happen. It, it was, yeah, look. It's it's just a cluster from start to finish. The story was, was in terrible taste. Um, you know, J- Jerry's comments... The ending of the match, I mean, this is just something that you would rather forget. And, you know, we don't hear it talked about too often. You don't hear Triple H ever really talk about it. Um, I would, I'll tell you, I would be curious. It'll never happen because, you know, Vince is probably, you know, Triple H will probably run this company when Vince is done. But I would love to get a, you know, one-on-one interview with him at some point where they bring this up and hear what he actually thought about it. And he has to talk a little bit about it You know what I mean? You put him in a little pressure on him And even on Booker's end too Yeah It'll it'll never happen because of how much of a high up in the company he is But I I would be curious to hear What he really thought about how this all went down Yeah, one quick note before we move on here And I feel it kind of important to point this out Given the global atmosphere and the grand scheme of things there have been some times where we've pointed out some comments that have been made. The thing that jumps out is the stuff Jesse Ventura would say about Tito Santana 
This is ten times worse than it's that. different. Too. The you difference can tell is, yeah, in light in, and and Tito is along with the Joe. I I I, I, I don't necessarily even know that, but it was just it's different. It, it's different. not Absolutely. in the same ballpark. It's so different. And the difference was usually Jesse looked like an idiot, and he would wind up getting his comeuppance when mm-hmm. Tito would do something really cool, and the face would get the win as part of the proper storytelling. There was no proper storytelling here. This was Triple H saying, I'm better than you. I'm better than your people. And then proving it by winning clean as a sheet when Booker T didn't get a shot and got buried. And it's a miracle that he got back to the main event level again. Watching this again left a really bad taste in my mouth. And we haven't even gotten to the match that I thought would give me the worst taste in my mouth. Oh, wait, we're here now. Yeah. yeah, so we're up to Hogan versus Vince, and we oh get oh boy, yeah, we get the build up package about their history. Um, you know, who is the main reason for the success of WWE, the success of WrestleMania, Hulk leaving for WCW, testifying against Vince, Vince created Hulkamania, now he's gonna kill it. So, there's a lot, obviously, with these two guys in a storyline. The problem with all of this is Hulk Hogan is. One of the short list of pillars of your company forever That's literally what the storyline is about We don't want to see Vince in a competitive match with him We don't ever Vince's is use as a performer in matches Is great on Raw to pop a rating To see somebody give him a stunner Or a choke slam or a power bomb Or whatever it's going to be Let them get their hands on the boss Everybody loves seeing that He helps make guys on TV all the time It's Vince in the pay-per-view That I would have a problem with One, because I don't think we ever thought Vince was really going to win matches You know, in pay-per-view And two, I'm, I mean, I, I'm supposed to believe That Vince is gonna, is, can go toe-to-toe with Hulk Hogan For 20 minutes I just don't It just rubs me so the wrong way This is a guy that you built up as a larger than life character Forever And and it's even so much as I didn't like I like when older guys Are putting the younger guys over But when you have a guy like a Hulk Hogan And they did this with Kurt Angle in the last year Year and a half Their value is no good if they lose to everybody You've got to pick And choose a few of your up and coming Guys for them to lose to you don't have them lose every time to everyone. So Vince was doing weird stuff with Hogan here. He obviously didn't want the crowd to feel like Hogan wasn't Hogan anymore. And so he has this 20-minute match where, I mean, I honestly think if this thing was five to seven minutes, these two guys beat each other up for a little bit. Hogan's, you know, it's it should have been an elongated Hogan squash. Vince could get a couple spots in where he had the the the... You know the the underhanded ref helping him, and maybe a Piper spot or one or two other. Give me a bunch of bells and whistles. A lot of guys. If this is the schmozzy match where we're getting people involved, there was just a ton of it where it's it's like Vince looking like a badass. It's like Vince beating just beating on Hogan. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me, Darren. With everything that. And and I know even you're not a, a Hulk guy, but from this bad perspective, it's like this has been your guy, and now you're telling us that you are equally as tough or on the same level as him, where you guys can go 20 minutes and you have this crazy street fight, you're bleeding. The guys work their butts off. Both these guys, it just 
it was totally not necessary. There's two different ways to look at this match. In a vacuum, by itself, just as a match, I thought they both worked very hard, Mm -hmm. and I thought I thought they did a damn good job. Yes, in terms of just in a vacuum. Um, There's a couple of really cool spots in the match. The you know the, the the spot where Vince peers out over the top of the canvas covered yeah. in blood. He looks like the devil. Awesome, um, awesome. That's spot. a cool. That's a cool spot. You know the spot where Vince is on top of the ladder and actually drops a leg on the table. So you know, I mean, Vince at this point is fifty-seven years old. You know, kudos to him for being able to do that. In all seriousness, um, but outside of looking at it in a vacuum, so. Like you, look, I agree with everything you said. In addition, when Hogan left and went to WCW, your whole thing about like him and Savage being like old geezers and stuff, like that, like WCW needs to take our sloppy seconds and our old geezers. And now the big sell match of your WrestleMania is a 50-year-old versus a 57-year-old in a street fight? Yeah. How did that happen? Then, you know, Vince for years was anti-blood. Everybody in this match gets bloody. The sp- Hugo gets the- busted <laughs> open. The announcer gets rocked in the face oh with God. a chair. In the best, like, Hogan oh. looks so nonchalant after he just clocks yeah. him, too. Like, he just does not care. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other part of it, I think Hogan was, like, blown up after five minutes because they literally do this, the the, the Greco-Roman knuckle lock. strength thing, or whatever? For like, yeah. For an hour. For, like, an hour. I mean, um, look. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, after the match that he had with The Rock the year before, you know, booking Vince as the evil, tough guy who's pummeling down the hero Hogan, like we saw in 1987 and 1988, whether it was Andre or Earthquake or whoever, you know, whoever he fought against, where he would have to hulk up and overcome all odds and... And, and stand up to the giant and defeat him. We're really putting Vince McMahon in that role in this match. And he which looks, is- and let's say, Vince looks phenomenal, right? Oh. For his age, he is in, in, I mean, he's in better physical shape at the time than Hogan is, you know? Right. But it's, it's just, we're, and this is all Vince ego thing. That's what it comes yeah. down to. It's, hey, look, I can do this. This is like, I don't know if you've ever seen the Curb Your Enthusiasm where they're trying to do the Seinfeld reunion and everybody everybody agrees to do it except for George, except for Jason Alexander. So Larry starts saying that he can play the role of George and nobody will really notice. And, right. the, and like they're looking around and Jerry and, and Kramer and Elaine are like, you're kidding. You don't think anyone's going to just notice that that, that you, you're not George? It's like Vince yeah. is. I'm, I'm a main eventer. I'm going to come out looking great. Nobody's going to notice. They're, they're that's not a good Vince, Gino. I got to you know? tell you, that's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, keep going, DC. No, it, it, it's just so. So basically, you took a storyline from you know 15 years earlier and basically applied it to this match. And, and I mean, Hogan basically gets his ass kicked for a good seven, eight minutes, which is just mind blowing. 
you know, when they did when they did the Bret Hart Vince thing, it was a complete annihilation, right? You know, it was Bret just beat the hell out of the guy uh, for for however long it went on. This is just it's almost like treating McMahon as 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 the big bad wrestler, which which is bizarre. Um, you know, and, and I almost feel like when I watch this match back, that these two guys before the match sat in a room quietly together and said. We're going to steal this show. You're right. No, they did. We're going to go out there for 20-something minutes. We're going to beat their shit out of each other. There's going to be blood and guts, and the place is going to go nuts. And all anybody's going to talk about after this WrestleMania is Hogan McMahon. That's what it feels like in watching this match. It's just bizarre on so many levels. And Aside from my animosity towards Hogan, look, I don't care if Hogan goes over Vince, whatever, fine. You know, I mean, let's not be ridiculous here. But this match is just I, I ridiculous for so many reasons. And, I mean, I, I can't, I, like, going back and watching it, I, 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 I'm, I was almost, like, confused yeah. as to what I'm seeing. And I wasn't angry about it like I was the Booker T match. But this to me was just like, what the hell was this all about? I've missed you very much, Darren. <laughs> I am so happy you're back for things like this because there's a lot that you covered and you covered it so well, but we found different things to laugh at with this match. Great. So they start the match and they do the worst imitation of ground and pound that I think I have ever seen. You didn't like that by Hogan in the beginning? They they try to bash each other's heads into the mat doing these half-assed chokeholds and whatnot. That was bad. Michael Cole cites Vince McMahon's cutthroat tactics in business as a possible advantage in this match. Oh, yeah. He's going to negotiate for an extra half percentage point in profits, I'm, and that's going to help him hit Hulk Hogan with a steel chair. I'm Good glad you job, mentioned Cole, Michael too, Cole. Andrew, because I thought I know that they're they're doing you know SmackDown Raw. I felt like this match would have been a lot better with Jr. and King, just from a history standpoint. Yeah, you get I, you get more yeah. with Jr., who's got a better a, a longer relationship with Vince and Hogan. Cole's a little more of the new guy here. I, I just think it would have added maybe a little bit more to it. Who knows? Maybe it goes over the top, but yeah, keep going, Andrew. Okay, so McMahon gets a hammer lock, and he hits some of the worst knee drops in the history (laughs) of professional wrestling (laughs) while in this hammer lock. Okay. They do a test of strength. In a street fight, they do a test of strength. Now, guys, I haven't been in a whole heck of a lot of fights, let alone street fights where you have access to weapons. Either of you, have either of you ever been in a fight where your first instinct is to do a test of strength? (laughs) It was like, I I think, Darren, did you say that you thought he was blown up? And that might have been why. It might have been like an audible you call in the match where Vince is looking and seeing Hogan and they're going, hey, let's sit here for a minute and let Hulk catch his breath. You know, maybe he came out firing. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, because so, we got to remember, this is what Vin, This is the kind of thing that Hogan's done all throughout his through the yep. years in matches like this. So while they're in the test of strength, 
I don't have who wrote this. It might have been a Cole thing. But he, someone says they call these two guys the two greatest men in the history of sports entertainment. <laughs> and I'm laughing so hard my sides ache at this point. That is how much I am hate watching this match. So to the two guys' credit, the tempo picks up after this. Vince takes a sick chair shot right to the head. Unprotected chair shot, uncomfortable to watch, but we have long established Vince McMahon is a crazy person. So he takes the chair shot, he blades, blood goes everywhere. Hugo Savinovich, God bless him, takes a bump off a steel chair. Vince grabs a ladder and Cole compares him to the Hardys. Okay. Where are we going with this? Vince Hardy. (laughs) Yep, indeed. Yes, he too got his start in an underground trampoline wrestling promotion. That's how he practiced for the big time. Vince does the leg drop through the table. Again, Vince, crazy person. Fine, we've established this. That's not the part of this match that really got me. The part that got me, and I forgot about this. Fan runs in. Black sweatshirt. Black everything. Huge gut. It's just big, so out of shape. Takes the hood off, and it's Piper. (laughs) Now, I am a huge Rowdy Roddy Piper fan. I will defend a lot of the stuff that he did even after his prime as being better than a lot of people want to remember it as. This version of Roddy Piper looked like he was inflated with helium. Yeah. He comes out, has no direction with anything he's doing because he hates both guys. (laughs) A couple weeks before this show, he was on TNA television bad-mouthing WWF, WWE, saying he'd never go back there. There would be a real sports interview that came out not long after this, and then he'd be shown the door for a little while. This was not good. He comes out, grabs the lead pipe, sort of half-heartedly, you know, kicks Vince almost like a shove kick with his foot. Like how you move something on the floor you didn't want to pick up. Mm -hmm. And then he hits Hogan with the pipe and storms out. Okay. What am I supposed to think here? Am I supposed to think that, you know, Vince paid Piper and he's a reluctant henchman? I don't know. The ref doesn't let Vince use the lead pipe in a street fight. Yeah. <laughs> There's no rules. His if boss. You're, referee, you're <laughs> there to count the pin. That's it. That's all. And all that does is set up a really bad ref bump. Oh, they, God, poor Brian Hebner. Oh. Yeah. They bring out Sylvain Grenier. Whatever. Then it's Hulk up time. Hogan hulks up. Gets not one, not two, but three leg drops. Good night. Now, this match is why WWE does not book for us. And I would be remiss not to say that. The crowd was going crazy for In this. the Hulk Up, they were... I wrote that down a few times. I mean, yeah. for the music, for the pop when Hogan came out, which it makes... it gives, Voodoo Child is fine, but I get such more of a warm feeling with Real right. American. You know, Indeed. it just doesn't feel the same. Now, um, here's the thing that gets me, though. After this match, you guys remember what happened? 
they did the Midnight Rider gimmick with Hulk Hogan as Mr. America. Mr. America with the mask. That's what this match led to. And that would have been fine if we got it for two minutes every SmackDown show. Instead, we got it for 20 minutes every SmackDown show until Hogan went and got himself fired. That was the storyline with Zach Gowan and the prosthetic leg. That was the storyline with Roddy Piper and Sean O'Hare that went nowhere. Vince McMahon came out of that looking horrible. Everybody looked bad. To their credit, Hulk and Vince tried. And that's more than we can say for the participants in a lot of really bad matches over the years, some of which we've watched and broken down on the show. These two guys tried, and they did some stuff that you would never expect guys half their age to do. And you know what? Kudos to them for that. That's fine. But my goodness, this was, this entire match left me scratching my head. No one was asking for it. There were so many better ways to use Hogan. You know what? You guys sort of hinted at this when we were talking about the Taker handicap match. Just have Taker go over Albert. Put Big Show in. Do the Hulk versus the Giant thing. Sure. And you know what? That makes sense. Because that's what Hogan's done for as long as he's done it. And there's a proven formula to that. Maybe he doesn't get Big Show up for the slam. But you know what? You get what you get. This was uh, this was weird. I felt dirty watching it. I feel dirty talking about it. And it just... Uh, my One thing that I forgot about, um, too, is the, the little thing after the match felt a little weird to me, too, with Shane. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's part of the storyline, you know, or maybe it's not. Who knows? Like, maybe Shane is going, what the hell did my dad just do? He's 58 years old, 57 years old, and... And he's bleeding profusely. He just went through tables, chairs, headshots. So Shane comes out to check on his dad, and there's this really weird energy between Shane and and, and Hulk, where you know it's like Shane's kind of tiptoeing, and then Hulk opens the ropes, and Shane comes in. But they're Shane kind of looks upset. Hulk Hulk's looking like he's being just a real snossage, kind of walking around the ring and waiting and staring Shane down. I just I got I felt a wheel a, a real weird energy and and then yeah. poor Michael Cole uh, DZ which we're gonna find out in the main event at this point his voice is shot and Jr is almost getting there these guys they just uh, they're losing their voice. Speaking of voices, one voice you, we talk about little things that bother us. Now this is a little thing, but it's just something that bothers me. And I get it. We have different announcers for Raw and SmackDown. Fine. Does it feel wrong to you that Fink is there and he's not the guy announcing Hogan coming to the ring? Absolutely. I mean, you gotta gotta have Fink, you know, because like what I, it just, it just left me flat. You know, you don't, you don't get the announcement for him coming down. You don't get the Fink, you know, adding to the pop. And then you don't get the, you know, the winner of the match. Oh, Hogan, like, like that's a part of WrestleMania. He's got to be the guy announcing Hogan's match. That I never me. thought about that, but you're right, Darren. That's a, that that's really strange in hindsight. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah. Now we're now we're to the two final matches. 
Next, next up, it is The Rock versus Stone Cold, and we get the build-up package here. This is Stone Cold's last match. They're not billing it that way. We didn't all know that at the time as fans. He didn't want it known. Um, he didn't want this to be like a send-off. He wanted this to be the moment for The Rock. The Rock was getting his moment, getting over. He's putting him over after The Rock's done the job for him a couple times. And leading up to this, The Rock had never beaten Stone Cold. On a pay-per-view and one-on-one Not only in the two at Mania There was also a Backlash um, match they had The only time that The Rock ever really got over they, they also had IC title matches You know, years prior The only time The Rock got over Stone Cold Was at the Survivor Series When they had the Invasion angle and And The Rock ends up winning for Team WWF You know, against the Alliance And he gets over Austin there And, and that's... I mean, you very. We never really saw The Rock getting the better of Stone Cold. So you know, as they talk about this being a great rivalry, it it is because these are two of the greatest all time, and these are two mega stars who both come into this this company at virtually the same time, and their stars rise almost together. But it is weird because it was definitely Stone Cold one and The Rock two in the pecking order. It, you know, it was never The Rock the guy. Over Stone Cold for the most part So this was a big moment as we went through that Rock promo a little earlier on and Andrew Mentioning how important the wins and losses Were in just a few in a feud like This and sort of A bummer I, I like the Hollywood Rock Entrance because it's different but it's it's Kind of like the Hogan thing like not getting the If you smell it feels Weird when the Rock comes out not not Having that and uh, and then you get the, the big pop as expected for Austin And this this is a match That is that is made for JR. These are two of his guys that he brought in, his projects, the guys that he loves, and he knows everything about them. And he, you know, he's given you just all their great backstory. He I love the little quip he mentioned at the beginning. The Rocks from Miami, almost as good of a football program as Oklahoma. You know, and he gets a laugh there. And uh and you know, he's probably I I I was laughing because I thought he felt probably a little more free because I'd imagine Vince isn't in his ear right now. You know, Vince is probably backstage getting getting sewn up, and you no, know, he's he's probably doesn't got the headset on telling Jr. what to say or directing him. So Jr. gets a little more freedom here in uh, in how he wants to call this match. And I mean, you forget because you think this is Austin's last match that he's going to be a little tentative, and you can see him not. You can see him in spots where he might be struggling physically. But man, he doesn't want to show it. The he he they're going at it early. Austin punches early. He goes for a stunner. The Rock ducks out and he heads down the aisle. Austin chases him. They are really going after it, moving quick all over ringside. JR says that Austin is as nasty as any human being can ever be. And JR just really on his game here. And all Austin slamming Rock into the steps a few times. Back in the ring, he's choking the Rock. And then, you know, Austin hits a suplex We get we get a little bit, like, he's trying to Not just be all punches and kicks in here So you, you're you're getting some semblance of an actual match here from Austin Which it was more of, like, fighting at this point He just didn't have a lot left physically And I just wrote down a few times Damn, Stone Cold is going And Rock ends up um, taking uh, what what ends up rock uh, t- takes out Austin's knee a few times from below. He kind of chop blocks him. Jr. mentions the knee braces of Stone Cold. This was a funny little uh, back and forth. And King says those things should be illegal. They're made out of metal. They could be used as a weapon. Jr. says, "What the hell do you want them to be made out of? Cotton candy?" 
plastic and then king just kind of shuts up um so jr got the better of king at least a few times throughout the uh the night and then this is when king says come on jr it's it's wrestlemania you know which jr has all night been saying if you had to remind me 55 times it's wrestlemania he's just pissing jr off the king is just getting on everybody's nerves now the rock goes to work um and and the problem with bobby doing this shtick we've said it from all the way back to 93 or the, the, With King doing this stick It's not like when Bobby does the shtick And that was my note here It's not like when Jesse does the shtick It just feels too forced It doesn't feel natural or funny We la- we watch those guys back and we laugh at them This just feels like Annoying It's like uh, I want to turn this guy off It's kind of the go away heat Sometimes when King's, when King's not on He can be really tough to get through Sometimes Um Rock locks in a sharpshooter JR mentions Brett at this point Which is kind of cool And Rock's in complete control now So the, the tables have turned He puts on Austin's vest And he drinks some water And he starts mocking Austin He they gets back in the ring They hit a double clothesline Then Austin with a Thez press One of his uh, staples And he starts unloading rights on the Rock Middle fingers Then an elbow for two Austin stomps the Rock in the corner You get the what, 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 what chance um, Rock, let's see, then Rock hits a, a flying clothesline, then a nip up. Uh, Rock bottom by Austin for two. Then Austin goes for a stunner. Rock blocks it. He flips Austin off and he gives Austin a stunner. And Austin sells this stunner great. I mean, he, he, it must have been like an inside joke to The Rock that he was going to sell it like him because he does. He kind of flips over like The Rock sells his um, stunners. I loved it. And, um, King keeps plugging that Wrestlemania movie The Rock um, With his um, Rock doing his punches And then the double middle finger Then Austin ducks, he hits a stunner Rock goes absolutely Flying And it's great, and JR is just going crazy Just a two count there And now the crowd is chanting Austin We get a low blow by the Rock And they do a low blow right This isn't like a low blow WCW style It's behind the ref's back it's quick, it's not right in front of the referee Where it should be an automatic DQ It it fit here, the low blow And Rock's struggling, he doesn't have any chance He can't lose again He doesn't He doesn't have much left um, So uh, Rock misses a people's elbow Then Austin misses a stunner And then Rock hits a, stein, a spine buster He gets the people's elbow for two JR says, the rattlesnake refuses to die And JR's just losing, losing his voice uh, rock bottom for two The Rock is just in disbelief Austin dodges one attempt Then um, he hits a, Another rock bottom for two Rock sizes Austin up Rock bottom number three And that third one was devastating For the win uh, Just under 18 minutes Rock pushes the ref out of the way I'm sure he had a, a cool little little something to say With Austin uh, They had a little moment there when Austin's laying down And the crowd's not really booing The Rock Because this is a damn good match and The Rock goes to see his family ringside And then he kind of leaves and gives Austin his moment Whatever they knew or didn't know at the time I think Rock may have thought That this this, this definitely was Probably the last time these two guys were going to go at it And with Rock's schedule and the Hollywood stuff We didn't know how much more We were going to be seeing The Rock We didn't know about Austin either So, you know, Darren Maybe it's not as good As, as one of their matches But Man, I don't have a whole lot of problems with this one. Well, it's funny you said that because I was actually going to, to to 
say something on that note, so I'll pick it up right from there. A lot of people, most people, like their WrestleMania 17 match the best. For me personally, this is my favorite match. Me too, yeah. Um, and it's a much different match than the WrestleMania 17 match. Um, obviously, all the Vince stuff that went on there. But there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in this match. Number one, The Rock's character kind of changes throughout the match. He goes from being the cocky, arrogant heel early, and, and it's almost like his character kind of morphs a bit through the match. And you, you know, the fans are not really ever booing him too much. But at the end of the match, they can't boo him, you know. It's almost like Rocky in Rocky Four against the Ivan Drago, you know. Mm-hmm. If I can change and you can change, everybody can change. Um, but the the beginning of the match, and we always know like how Rock sells, you know, Austin stuff. Rock's like selling everything, like like it's haymakers. I mean, the punches. He's like he's like jerking back, like like he's getting hit with an anvil in the face. I mean, everything that Austin hits him with. He's selling to the nines. Uh, I thought it was cool when Austin, you know, drapes him over the outside wall right in front of Rock's family. You know, you know that was by design. That that was the spot that they were going to do that in. All of the stuff of them doing each other's moves, uh, I thought was great. Now, you talk about people not knowing uh, that this was Austin's last match. Watching this back and, and keeping that in my mind, I have a very difficult time believing that The Rock didn't know. And I say that from his facial expressions. I say that from... How he acted after the match, even? Yeah. He's not really celebrating. It's He's kind of gone. Yeah. So, like, if you watch near the end of the match, his facial expressions kind of change. They kind of break character a little bit. The last rock bottom that he hits... He holds Austin up for like five to seven seconds where he's kind of like taking in the moment of this is it, you know. And then, as you said, after the pin, you know, where he's, you know, these guys had such a heated rivalry and everything that was going on, the way the match started, that he took a a good minute where he was talking to Austin, you know. And you know that he was saying some pretty cool stuff. But watching that part of it, you know, and the way he, like, before he gets up, he slaps him on the chest a couple of times, and he goes back and he does it again. And if you watch Rock as he leaves the ring and walks back to the to the dressing room, it looks to me like he is fighting back some emotion. He's, he's constantly rubbing his hands over his face. His eyes are opening very wide, which is what somebody typically does when they're fighting back, getting choked up a little bit. And when he gets to the top of the ramp, he kind of turns his back. So he watches Austin one last time, and he gives him, like, another signal and another send-off. I I have a hard time watching all that that The Rock didn't know. Um, I love the match. Like I said, it's different than some of the other stuff that they've done. But for all those reasons put together, the story that it told, probably the fact that it was Austin's last match, this actually ended up being uh, my favorite match between the two of them. And uh, I, I mean, I could watch this match a million times. I like this match 
I don't want anything I say after this to be indicative of anything that says I didn't. I didn't love this match. And I'll, I'll tell you why as we go through it. So Austin walks out, crowd goes bonkers. JR has a really good line. This is his life. This is his destiny. But the same can be said for The Rock. Again, wins and losses matter. Put that on a t-shirt. We'll sell it for $19.99 plus shipping and handling. So (laughs) Austin teases the stunner early. Rock goes for a walk, gets chased, and winds up taking a lot of bumps at ringside early on. And the more I watch this match, the more I'm thinking, Rock's taking most of the bumps because Austin only has X amount of bumps he can take. Remember, Austin is wrestling this match, as it turns out, without medical clearance. He went for a second opinion and didn't get it. He was basically wrestling this match knowing, okay, I'm done. Hopefully I get through it in one piece. If not, it's going to be good television. And they moved this match, Andrew. It was This was supposed to be the main event. Yeah. And the reason why it was not was because... In the days leading up to this, Austin basically had a panic attack. He was so anxious about everything happening. If he'd be able to physically get through this, he didn't want to go out there and and crap the bed and have a bad match. He didn't want it to be in the main event and and have that be a lasting image of many people for him. So they end up moving this this match. They thought about having the Hogan-Vince match main event. And oh boy. good thing they didn't, obviously. Amen. Um, they end up going with Kurt Brock, which is a fine choice for, for a main event. But yep. they, they thought about it, and a lot of the, like what you said, Austin's not in great shape leading up to this. To me, that kind of just impresses me even more that um, he's able to pull out a pretty damn good match. Right. And again, I like this match. The problem is, at least for me, so they do the wild brawl thing for six or seven minutes, and then they get back into the ring. And when they get back into the ring, they start finisher spamming. And it just didn't seem to me like, for the most part, there was a lot of psychology behind it. It seemed like, okay, big move, kick out, shock face. Big move, kick out, shock face, whatever. And it was the same thing for 10 minutes. Now, these two guys had enough charisma to where they could have done nothing for 10 minutes and chances are they'd have managed to pull something off. It would have been fine. Rock grabs Austin's vest. They do a double clothesline spot and Austin takes a while to get up. This is pretty similar to when we were watching the HBK Austin match from WrestleMania a couple of years prior. Knowing what kind of pain that guy is in. It's, it's hard when you know, or like a perfect 91 sum, um, SummerSlam, you know, and he's about to be out for a yeah. while. It's a little hard when you know and you can see them take some of those bumps and you go, oh, like, you, yep. go, you know, you, you cringe with them. Yep. Now, you mentioned the JR line, the rattlesnake refuses to die. Such a great line. I love that line. JR had such a good night on commentary, especially compared to the other three guys that were doing commentary. He was just so much better than everybody else at ringside was. So, rock bottom, the first one. King goes, it's over! And that's how you know it isn't. Commentators, just shut up. You're completely diminishing the value of finishing moves by doing that. Because the second someone says it's over, we know it's not. Rock gets two more. The third one's good for a win. 
Darren mentioned it, and I'm happy he did. You could see The Rock was holding back something as he left the ring. I mean, bona fide heels do not, in character, go to their family after the match, show love and respect, go to the back, while constantly peering back over their shoulder looking at the guy in the ring. He knew. He had to know. And he would be not necessarily done in the WWE in the next month to six weeks. He'd come back for WrestleMania 20. He'd come back for a couple of one-offs. But it would be seven years after WrestleMania 20 where we would see The Rock in the ring again. And he knew, too. He knew that his career was taken off and that this might be his last mm-hmm. WrestleMania moment. Yep, that, That's part of it, too. So he gets his win here. Austin's done. This is his last match. Rock puts over Goldberg on his way out the door. Goldberg looks like a million bucks in that match, even though the match isn't any great shakes. Rock comes back at WrestleMania 20, and then he's gone. It's a real changing of the guard type moment. One last dance between two of the all-time greats. And even though I would not put this match near their WrestleMania 17 encounter, I think that's an all-time classic, and I just think this match is very good. This match is very good, and it says something when you have two guys that could work together like this and make it as good as it was, despite the physical limitations of one of the guys in the ring. This was very good. I liked this match. I can't say I loved it or that it was great, but it's a fitting conclusion to their rivalry. Both guys brought it, and the win mattered to The Rock. We get to main event time. And, uh, you know, the reason why people talk about this WrestleMania being maybe the best or one of the best or on the short list is because you're now going to get the third match of the night that's just super, super quality. It's Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, remember he came in in 2002 Just after uh, Wrestlemania So he's been around now For one year And when we talk about the Quickest rises to stardom He's right up there with anyone that we'll ever talk about He, he They put him over the rock um, Right away You know, By SummerSlam he's the world title He's, he's holding the world title And, and, and he's legitimate But th- this is the, the, the match That's supposed to be Two legitimate athletes. You get two wrestlers. We get the build-up package. And Kurt Angle's been kind of Weasley with Team Angle. So if he gets DQ'd or counted out or anyone interferes, he's going to lose the title. Now, we talked about the shape that Austin was in. Kurt Angle was told by doctors that certain bumps could paralyze him. He should not be wrestling. In fact, Kurt Angle was supposed to lose the title to Brock on SmackDown before this. Meltzer even said they all thought that was going to happen And they were going to have to change plans for Wrestlemania And instead Angle ends up Leaving that match with the title And he says I want to go out on my own I want to go out at Mania And Vince, he convinces Vince to let him do this match And So they're thinking this is going to be his last match Maybe ever, at least for a while And It was supposed to be a little earlier you know, uh, on the show, they change things up with Austin, and this ends up being the main event. So, I mean, Michael Cole, poor guy, he can barely get words out here. We get some some mat wrestling early, back and forth, some amateur stuff, some freestyle. We get the gold medalist versus the All American. There are some really fun ro- stories. 
kind of cults cl- classic stories of these two guys in the locker room and a couple of the interactions that they've had where they were having these um, rogue matches where you know 10 20 guys the whole locker rooms around throwing fives and tens and 20s down on who's going to take who down and who's going to win and everyone's betting on them like everybody was Legitimately interested in seeing These two guys go at it because they were Badass athletes who were real Who could really kick your ass And and they were incredible performers Too and and we see We see Angle Which I, I kind of forget I mean he Tosses Brock around for a lot of this Match he really does belly to belly Suplex he's throwing him all over Brock pops right up at the beginning Hits a clothesline and Brock with a press Slam angle German suplex Tosses Brock Brock's neck into the top turnbuckle And then Kurt is going to work Bow and arrow submission Lesnar starts fading um, His face is getting super red as Kurt's choking away at him A few more minutes and Brock uh, Gets away and, and then Brock gets tossed with a suplex And then Brock gets tossed outside It is all Kurt for a while Brock then catches him with a spine buster it's just, it's weird to see so much Brock selling, you know, when we when we are used to this age Brock for the last few years, and he'll still sell for guys that he likes, and even for smaller guys sometimes. But he is Kurt is dominating this match early on, and and then Brock's turning it around. He nails a few suplexes, and then Angle hits four Germans. Boom, boom, boom Brock counters with uh, Brock counters an Olympic slam And then Kurt counters an F5 Into an ankle lock and then a half crab And these two guys are laying it in We look at this thinking that Angle can't Really do much and you sure as hell Wouldn't believe it watching what he's doing Um uh, Let's see Brock tosses Kurt over the top ropes He goes flying Kurt then hits a release German And Brock flips over and lands on his stomach For two that was a great spot Uh, Angle slam for two Brock rolls up Kurt for a two count Then an F5 and, And Kurt kicks out And Cole says that that's never been done before That might be true at this point I don't know if anybody kicked out I mean remember Brock's only been around for a year And he's been Treated as a devastating type So there may not have been many that have kicked out Of that um, this, this thing really Picks up in the last five Minutes or so and You know Angle gets a roll up for two Brock hits his second F5 and, and Brock's starting to look a little gas now He's starting to look tired he doesn't go for the pin This is the big spot Kurt is more than halfway across The ring and Brock is Going up to the top rope for a Shooting star press He slightly slips And he shorts it And his neck gets pinned In between Kurt Angle And the mat He hits the side of Kurt He doesn't get up and over for the shooting star press And I I will say Angle does a really good job Of covering him For two just in case They don't know Brock might be out of it Kurt I I think Kurt was a little nervous and scared Did this guy just break his neck Did he do something can he move has he got a stinger So Angle covers him because if Brock Can't kick out they may have just made An audible and changed the finish right there Like that might have been Kurt Angle winning that match If he's not supposed to if Brock can't Can't gain enough You know um Straight get get his head straight enough to kick out Of that uh, of the pin you know Attempt there so I can't believe that somehow Because that that was supposed to be the finish The shooting star press Uh, Meltzer said that was booked to be the finish Somehow Brock Gets up He blocks Angle And then he hits an F5 for the win I mean other people are not moving They're getting stretchered out 
A lot of it probably has to do with the Brock and just the way he's built and the size of his back and his neck and his shoulders and how big and strong he is. Um, this was it's scary to watch, and we and knowing that everybody's okay now, it, it makes me feel a lot better. Uh, but it, it, I will say, the match is still damn good. It doesn't really take away from the match, but it almost has that feel like the end of the Owen Hart. Versus Austin match at SummerSlam when when Austin gets like you can tell that Kurt is kind of okay he still got to get me in the finish somehow they let him they they kind of he gets up with an F five that's still a little nervous that he shouldn't have been doing we can tell that he, he he's not himself it's impressive that he does it it's got that little bit of a weird ending because of that I don't think it takes a ton away from the match I still think this is a damn good match and DZ. Many people that call this the best Wrestlemania ever When you have this match The Michaels Jericho match The Rock Austin match And hey you know what People I'm sure didn't mind the Vince Hogan Because it was a brawl The opening match was good The women's match was really good Nothing wrong with the tag Now we're starting to talk about 6 or 7 matches That were all pretty quality on this show Yeah so let me let me ask you a question um, I mean I've seen it a million times When you watch this back Every time that I, and I I tried it several times, on the Shooting Star Press, my WWE Network froze for five seconds. And you don't see the press, and I only see him on the ground holding his head. Yep. And it's, it's a very strange thing. I tried it on my computer, and I tried it on the network on my, on my fire stick upstairs. And both did the same thing. He got to the top rope. It froze, and then five seconds later, he was on the, the floor rolling around, you know, holding his head, um, which is very strange because I know I've seen it on the network before, and you guys obviously saw it. So I'm not sure why that's the case. But anyway. Um, it's a conspiracy against Staten Island. It, it very well could be, and and, <laughs> right, and justifiably so. Um, <laughs> look, I, there's a... You went through all the – look, there's some crazy moves in this match. I mean, Angle took two German suplexes where when you know the state of of what's going on with his neck, how in the world are you taking those? Um, But then from there, um, Angle hits Lesnar with with a – it's like a a belly-to-back suplex. but The release. Yeah. Yeah. Rock does like a 180 and lands on his stomach. Crazy. And I remember, yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that, I remember just yelling out, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, wow. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, there was, uh, you know, when Angle hit the uh, hit the German suplex on Brock early in the match into the turnbuckle, you know, that that was another thing. But the, the, the weird thing, the, the thing that I took away from this watching it back was – to to it's easy to forget the kinds of matches that Brock Lesnar used to have. Yes, you know, and, and you miss it. You know that that he was able to put on a match like this, where it's just you know great wrestling moves. It's long, you know, it, it's not boring by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, and and you know you forget. That that he was so capable of of that, and he was such he is such an athlete. But back then, my God, could the guy go? 
Um, I thought there was a cool moment before the match started where Angle is kind of talking in Brock's face where, you know, for the story, it's it's supposed to be trash talk. But my guess is that's probably a, a warm sentiment that's being passed along before the match. Um, the end of them after the match, I mean, you look at Brock when he gets his hand raised. I mean, he's not there. No. And and how he was able to get Angle up and hit that F five, I mean he is he is freaking out of it. Um, and then obviously the two of them, you know, embrace after the match, which which was really cool to see because obviously you didn't really see that kind of stuff from Lesnar before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he likes so, Kurt, you know, like he's a guy who doesn't like a lot of guys, but he really loves and respects Kurt. There's yeah. So when when you when you read about Lesnar, there's a few guys he really likes. Uh, Kurt was one of them. Taker obviously was one of them. Goldberg and another, believe, yeah. And believe it or not, Roman is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, go figure. But yeah, I thought I look. Um, I'll put it to you this way: by my going back and watching, as much as I did like the Rock Angle match and, and everything that went with it, out of the three matches that could have been the main event, they ended up on the right one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I thought this match was tremendous. I thought they did great work. I thought it told a great story. And the two of them at the end embracing, with, with that being kind of the last live shot of the show, uh, I, I was was really good. Um, yeah, I, I, w- I really enjoyed this match, and it brought back good memories of, of, of what Brock could do. And to be honest with you, it made me kind of miss that, you know, that, that version of Brock Lesnar. Yeah. When Brock Lesnar came into the WWE in 2002, it was as if he came straight out of a lab and Vince McMahon had carved him out of granite or put him in a test tube or something. Because that guy... He was the prototype before the prototype, the John Cena, you know, that that he was supposed to be. Yeah. He ticked every box and you put him with somebody that could talk for him like they did with Heyman for a while. They were off to the races with him. He had been in the WWE for a year. He went from OVW to WWE to the main event of their biggest show of the year in one year. He was in the main event of SummerSlam with The Rock, right? Yep, and that was a great match. It was. The one thing that I will say to, to Darren's point about missing those kinds of matches with Brock, Brock still can have those kinds of matches. The bigger problem is he doesn't have to. And that's a difference in the product. Yeah. If you look at the matches that he's had with AJ Styles, with Daniel Bryan. Balor even, was pretty good. Yeah. Even the Roman Reigns match where Seth Rollins cashed in. People forget yeah. how good that match was. Or the that triple was, threat with yeah. Rollins and Cena. Yeah. Yeah. There are matches in later day Brock's career that remind you how good he can be when he wants to be that good. The problem is he doesn't have to be that kind of worker because of the way the product is structured. And I shouldn't say problem because this is a guy that shows up, wrestles once every couple of months, doesn't have to take a whole lot of bumps, gets paid a whole bunch of money, and gets to go home to Sable. You know what? Yeah. That's a pretty darn good life. And, and think good a lot on of it, him for that. Yeah, I think some of it comes down to motivation too, right? Like – for him, when he gets in the ring with those guys that either he likes, they're his buddies, or he wants to, the stuff that he did with Taker a few years ago after the streak, 
was really good. The Hell in a Cell match where they both popped up laughing. That, oh, was, that was so great. good. They had fantastic. a good series that felt like a really hot program. Um, he was giving a little bit, and he will he will sell and he will give to the Daniel Bryans and the AJs of the world. Yeah, it's just you miss like you see this match, and you could tell how much he wanted to put on a show. He wanted to steal the show. He wanted to one up Kurt, not one up, but it was like him and Kurt were wanting to one up each other, you know. And yeah, and and it was like. He he when he gets in the ring with someone like this and they push it out of him, he still has it. But yeah, like you said, it's he just unfortunately, if you're him, you don't really need to do that night in nope. and night out anymore. Nope. Now, and we can't really blame him. Yeah. The reason I thought this match worked, and I didn't take a whole heck of a lot of notes. I thought the story dominated this match, and it was a great story because they did a lot of amateur stuff early. The first eight minutes of this match was all waist locks and takedowns and whatnot. And that worked because it made the power moves that they would bust out matter so much more. You look at the Rock Austin match, good as it was. Austin hits a rock bottom, Rock hits a stunner, and it doesn't seem like it really matters. Angle hits a release German suplex that Lesnar does a flip sell out of. That matters. Angle hits a couple of Germans in a row. That matters. Lesnar hits a power slam. That matters. The F5 matters. The shooting star press absolutely would have mattered if he had hit it. And it, I don't know if he slipped or if he just got into the rotation late because he's halfway to Angle and he hasn't started rotating yet. And that, I think, is what caused him mm-hmm. almost paralyzing himself. Yeah, Good boy. It was... It's scary. And I did not see that on the network feed. I'm watching it on my Xbox One. And I saw that. The one thing I'll say is he comes down. The camera angle that they have that's sort of close to him with Angle in the foreground and Lesnar coming at him, it looks not great, but it doesn't look bad. You can tell in the replay after the match, though, when they show the reverse angle and you hear Taz go, oh, my God, how is he still walking? Yeah, that's somebody that has broken his neck. That's somebody that walked into a hospital on a broken neck. That's someone who knows what that feels like. And that adds gravitas to that moment. I don't think that ruins that match at all. I think it gives Lesnar a sense of he's human. He's not necessarily a machine that we saw him come into the WWE as. He's developed his character enough to where he can do stuff like that, and it doesn't hurt him. Credit to Angle for guiding Lesnar through that. Can't imagine the pain that Lesnar would have felt, you know, getting Angle up for the F5. Hitting a presentable F5, by the way, given that he was in La La Land. This yep. was a really good match. Uh, it's not my favorite match on this show, but that's only because I am a fanboy for the Michaels Jericho match. Yeah. This was almost as good. It was a fitting end to the show, and it reestablished Brock as one of the guys moving forward. If you were to tell me that the next year he would get booed out of Madison Square Garden and then be gone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed you. And then but, he was gone. Yeah, and the career arc. Of Brock Lesnar. It's a podcast on its own. It's phenomenal. Between now and the end of the world, 
4 billion years from now or whenever global warming scorches us all up. We will never see that again. We will never see amateur wrestling. WWE tries to go for the NFL. Darn near makes the team. UFC almost dies from diverticulitis. Goes back to WWE. Becomes just as big a star as he was when he left. And winds up only having to work a couple of dates a year to make gigantic money. They'll be talking about this guy for hundreds, thousands of years, however long there is combat sports and professional wrestling, there's a lot worse legacies to have. This, I mean, it's a nine-match card. Uh, Matt Hardy, Rey Mysterio, Undertaker uh, versus Big Show A-Train, Trish versus Victoria versus Jazz, Team Angle versus Benoit and Rhino versus Los Guerreros, Michaels, Jericho, Triple H versus Booker T, Hogan, McMahon, The Rock, Stone Cold, and then Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle. And... For all we can say about the Hogan-Mince match, if you like it, if you don't, what I like about this show is those last five matches, they feel like WrestleMania matches. They do. They're a little longer. There's a back and forth. There's a little more oomph you feel from all the performers. They're trying all the crap with the Triple H, Booker T, that storyline. It still felt like a WrestleMania match, like what they would have. It just had a crappy ending to it. And... If you are one of the people out there that want to say this is your favorite WrestleMania, I'm not going to argue with you. If you think this is the best one, I'm probably not going to argue with you either. I, I, I don't, I can't really remember another show that has three matches that good that I like, an opener like a, a really fun Mysterio Hardy opener that I wish could go a little longer, a really strong women's match that was a, a pleasant surprise to me. So, I, I'm Darren. I'm. This is one of the the. It was a little long, you know, it was a little under four hours, but it didn't really feel, we've watched shows that felt longer to me than this that were two hours and 40 minutes, um, because I was interested in a lot of what was going on. This was a good pick, this was a good show, very little bad to say, and the bad was just, man, The Undertaker was, wasn't really, was really out of place, and, and maybe we didn't need as much of the, the catfight women on the show, and, and maybe you give the tag a few extra minutes, but, I mean, We've we've had shows where we have a lot to complain about. There wasn't a whole ton to complain about here. No, I I mean you know the well the, the booking of Triple H and Booker T. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two or three things that did that could have been better. Uh, what I find interesting, so I mean, if you go through um, you know any lists of top WrestleManias, you know people review them. You know some people are crazy enough to rank them. You know one to thirty six in order. You know which. I, I guess could be fun, but my God, please find something better to do with your time. Um, then go through 36 WrestleMania ranked yeah. from 1 to 36. But, but this show is in most people's top five. Um, you know, 17 and 19, uh, you know, are, are typically top five, top six, top seven matches. Uh, or shows, I should say. And the, the part of that that's surprising to me is that it's considered that good, and you have the one of the Undertaker's more lackluster matches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we think about WrestleManias, you know, aside from the ones prior to, to Taker, notably WrestleMania three, a lot of the WrestleManias that are considered very good, you know, Taker's got a big moment. In. Um, this one, very far from a big moment. So I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that being said. 
I just remembered this as being a very fun show with a lot of good matches. Obviously, the Michaels-Jericho match for me is, is an all-time favorite. Uh, it is also my favorite match on the show, much like Andrew. But there's three or four damn good matches in here. Uh, it's, it's an easy watch. It, it, it's long, but it doesn't drag. And, uh, you know, when you have about three and a half hours to kill and you're looking for something to watch, you could do a lot worse than this show. WWE had a really good run of WrestleManias from 17 to 20. Now, 20 hasn't aged well. And we're not going to talk about why. 19 was really darn good. Um, it had something for everybody. It was a case where, again, as Gino mentioned, everybody tried hard and everybody brought it. And even the bad stuff felt like it belonged on a WrestleMania stage. There wasn't a whole heck of a lot that felt like, oh, this was a Sunday night heat match mm -hmm. or the WCW stuff we've done, oh, this felt like a worldwide match or a Saturday night match where they never get out of first gear. At the very least, you had matches get out of first gear and in some cases kick it into a really high gear. HBK Jericho to me is an all-timer. Angle Lesnar is there. Rock Austin has a lot of historical significance, especially looking back on it now. Um, there's some other stuff on the show that's at the very least a fun watch. The Mysterio-Hardy match is a really cool opener. Mysterio, unfortunately, has had the distinction of being shoved into a couple of Mania matches that seemed like they got cut really short on time. Mm -hmm. The match he had in 2010 against CM Punk is as good a six-minute match as you're ever going to see, and it should have been three times that given some of the garbage that went on on that show. Um, but it's a good show. For me, it's certainly a top 10 Mania, top five probably I'm not one of those crazy people that ranks WrestleManias other than to say three will always have a soft spot in my heart and probably be number one from now until the end of time. But really good show. Really happy that we watched it outside of the whole Limp Biscuit thing, which was just a painful reminder that the early 2000s was not a good period for popular music. <laughs> okay, Andrew. So you are up. Where, uh, where are we going to be headed next week for our old wrestling rewatch? All right. So... My honorable mention was Hogwild 1996. We'll get there one day. We'll get, we'll there, get one there one day. day. That was going to be my punishment to Darren for having the nerve to have his birthday and anniversary be in the same week. Um, <laughs> but on a serious note, a couple of weeks ago, we reviewed the 1996 Great American Bash. That was a tough pick for me because there was another show that jumped up at me and was reminded it's one of my favorite shows that was the week that The Undertaker announced his quote-unquote retirement. Whether or not we believe that, I don't know. We'll see if there's Saudi money that could potentially lure him back. I don't think we've necessarily seen the last of the guy. But one of my favorite Undertaker matches is one nobody talks about. And it comes on the same show as probably my second favorite Royal Rumble of all time. We're going to take a leap forward here. We're going to go to the Royal Rumble in 2010. The Rumble is spectacular. Nice. It's perfectly booked. That's the Rumble where CM Punk cuts promos between all the entrants. It's spaced perfectly. There's a great shock return near the end. The final four is great. That's the story where Shawn Michaels is trying to win to get his match with The Undertaker. So good. The hidden gem is a one-time, never-before-and-I-think-never-again match between The Undertaker 
and Rey Mysterio. This is Sting Vader to the letter. It is a great match. Every time I rewatch Rumbles through the years, I make it a point to watch that match as a lead-in. It's one of my all-time favorites. There's not a whole heck of a lot to the undercard. There's four matches, I think, before that match and then the Rumble. It's a quick watch. It's a fun watch. And I'm really looking forward to that. Royal Rumble 2010. It's good stuff. We'll get to Hogan reigning supreme and forcing Paul White to lay down for 10 minutes for no good reason at some point in the future, I'm sure. This one, though, I'm looking forward to it, and I may very well fire it up in the background as I get to handicapping the rest of Saratoga. There you go. Good selection. We are later now on the timeline. We're up into the, the, the 2010s with a 2010 Royal Rumble. So, Darren, we have some homework for next week. Good pick here. And uh, I'm sure you're excited. We're recording this on Tuesday night. It's going to be on the Thursday show this week on That's What G Said. So we'll have uh, an opening weekend of Saratoga coming up. We now have Del Mar coming up. Monmouth Park is going to have some of their big races coming up. We just got to keep our fingers crossed and and see now that a lot of the jocks are going to, you know, hopefully be staying put because the, the traveling over the last few weeks has not done them well. No, no, it definitely hasn't. Um, you know, I, it's tough at, at Saratoga because I kind of I, I feel bad for the jockeys that don't get a lot of power up there but want to ride up there. You know, obviously, um, you know, for the, the nostalgia of it, you know, to be able to say you rode to me in Saratoga and also to try to, you know, open up some eyes. But they, they can fill the gap in the path by – you know, riding at Delaware or parks on a Monday or a Tuesday or, you know, doing that here and there. It's going to be difficult on those guys that are getting one or two mounts a day to have to make that decision and to only have, you know, really 72 hours to make that decision, 48 hours, in fact, now. Uh, so I feel bad for them, but it, it, from a health standpoint, it's the right move. Look, the one thing I can tell you about here in New York is that so far when it comes to COVID – in New York, things continue to trend in the right direction. I can't explain why that's the case when everything else in the country seems to be going the wrong way. Um, I don't know what we're doing differently. Uh, I know everybody's wearing masks and we're being careful and, and so on and so forth. But hopefully that's a good sign for the Saratoga meet. Hopefully we get to enjoy it the way we normally do, even without fans. Uh, you know, it is still Saratoga. And it is always the biggest puzzle of the year for me from a handicapping standpoint. Andrew, it'll probably cost me money as it does every year, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm an upstate New York boy. I worked for the Saratogian full-time for a couple of years. I'm the featured handicapper there once again. I am looking for title number five in the last seven years. Also looking to win the all-media title for the first time since 2017. Oh, (laughs) You know what? You feed me, I'm going to do this, and I'm yeah. going to warn you all in advance. Feed the beast. <laughs> Gimmick Andrew is prepared to come out and play. I don't take a full-time check from anybody in the racing business. Gloves are off. If you mess with the bull, you will get the horns. On a serious <laughs> note, I love Saratoga. Saratoga is the track that caused me to fall in love with racing. No disrespect intended to the smaller tracks that are out there, many of whom do a tremendous job. If Saratoga is the first track that you go to, you're hooked. There's no other way to put it. It is a beautiful, beautiful place with so much history, so much charm. 
The people there do such a good job putting on that meet every year. The stuff with the jockeys, it's unfortunate. But one of the things that we need to remember in the face of COVID-19, and not just in racing, in a lot of different areas, is there are no good options. This is a case where Naira is making the best out of a really bad situation. And if you approach things with the knowledge that there are no good options, that there are no absolutes, this is a public service announcement for a lot of people on Twitter out there that have become very opinionated and, in my opinion, very narrow-minded and very wrong. If you think there's only one way to approach a situation in the face of a global pandemic, just shut up. There's nothing wrong with saying you don't know. There's nothing wrong with not swinging at every pitch. Understand that the people that are running this meet are doing the very best they can in the midst of a horrible situation. We almost did not have a Saratoga meet this year. There were a lot of people that wanted racing to just continue at Belmont Park. And I wouldn't have faulted Naira too much for doing that. I think we're incredibly lucky to have racing of any sort at Saratoga. People who want fans at Saratoga who think, oh, I'll be responsible so everything is fine. That's not the way the world works. Enjoy Saratoga for what it is. I know I will. You can follow me on Twitter at AndrewChampagne. AndrewChampagne.com will have all my picks, analysis, bankroll plays, everything else that I do. This is where I make the donuts every year as a handicapper. I live the other 44 weeks of the year as a horse racing fan for these eight weeks. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to do the best I can to give out some winners and make some money. Hope you come along for the ride. How's that for a promo? That's a good good way to end. Great job, Andrew. And uh, Andrew's got a really good um, uh, article up, too, that talks about when you went to Pebble Beach. You can can check that out. It's really good. So much fun. Um, So much fun. I was going to say, on a lighter note, from one golfer to another, how was that experience? On a scale of to 10 a 21.8 um that was unbelievable for a number of reasons and you can take a look at my column i unfortunately i can't talk about it for more than 30 seconds without getting a little misty eyed on yeah. it because there's some personal significance with the seventh hole at pebble beach silly as it sounds you'll get it when you read the article it was so mm-hmm. much fun i got to spend that with my father that was a bucket list thing for him And we had a beautiful day for it. Mid-60s, ocean breeze coming in. It was lovely. If you have the money to do that once, do it. You're not going to be disappointed. Pro tip, though, and Darren, I know you had mentioned potentially going to Pebble at some point as a, was like a 40th birthday thing for you at some point. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's what we're thinking, yeah. Get a caddy. Pay the money. Make sure that you do that. And not for the reasons of, oh, they know their way around so you won't get lost, whatever. They provide as invaluable a service at Pebble Beach as anything. Uh, This one in particular that we had was actually taking pictures and videos of us on his phone the entire round so we would have something to remember the experience by. Was telling stories about Jim Nance greeting people because he's got a house there. It's so much fun. It adds so much to the experience. And you really don't care what you shoot when you go to a place like that. You go right. in, you soak in the sights, and if you break 100, it's a plus. Uh, the back nine at Pebble Beach will eat your lunch. It ate my lunch pretty good. You saw some of the approach shots I had to deal with if you followed me on Twitter. But it's awesome. 
Uh, if you haven't read the article yet, it's up on my website. I've got pictures. I've got some videos. It's a cool thing. And before anyone says anything, yes, I know it hurts to watch me address the club. Uh, I'm six foot five. I'm swinging a wedge. I'm working on it. I'm way up here. The ball's way down there. There ain't a whole hell of a lot I can do. I was pretty happy I stuck that wedge within 40 feet and made par. Andrew, how many how many balls did you lose on six and 18 over there? Uh, let's see. Uh, six, I didn't lose any. Uh, oh, what? Yeah, I didn't lose any on 18 either. I lost what? the ball on four. I lost the ball on eight. I lost the ball on nine. And I lost two balls on the back nine. I actually, Not I kept bad. it in play for the most part. The over-under was seven and a half. If you took the over, you lost. He was playing but, like yeah. David Sims, though. He was just laying up all over the place, I bet. No, he wasn't, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not good enough to lay up all over the place. I was going after it. There you go. I'll, I'll, leave, us, I'll leave us with this uh, regarding Pebble Beach, Andrew. There, there's a great documentary on YouTube about Tiger Woods' 2000 U.S. Open at Pebble. Uh, it's like called Epic Opens. And in there is a story about uh, that that year he finished – he couldn't finish the second round on Friday. He had to start it up again early Saturday morning on the 13th hole. The night before, he was practicing putting in his room. Oh, I heard about this. It's so good. Yeah. He took, he took three balls out of his bag to practice putting. So they get to the 13th hole, and his caddy at the time, uh, Steve Williams, I believe was his name? Yes, yeah, Steve Williams. Uh, yeah. He goes into the bag to get ball number one to start the day, and there's only three bags in the ball, uh, three three balls in the bag. And he forgot. He had no idea that Tiger took balls out of the bag to practice putting. So he's got three balls to get through six holes, which for Tiger Woods is not a big deal. But on 13, he scuffs a ball and throws it into the crowd. So now he got two balls left for five holes. <laughs> get to eight. He gets to 18. And remember that Tiger Woods in this U.S. Open was one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see. He was secretaried at the Belmont. Yeah, yeah. he was. But he gets to 18, and he, and he goes driver. And if you know the 18th at Pebble, it's the, the par five along the cliff that if you go left, the ball's gone. And he goes driver, and he mishits it, and the thing just goes directly left, and the ball's gone. So now he's got one ball left in the bag. And but at this point, Tiger's up by like nine shots in at the end of the second round. And Steve Williams is trying to tell Tiger to hit a seven iron. And Tiger's telling Steve Williams, you see the way I'm hitting the ball? Why in the world would I hit a seven iron? Give me the damn ball. And he and instead of taking like the drop, he hits again with the driver from the tee on 18, not knowing because Steve Williams never tells him it's the last ball in the bag. <laughs> Could have been DQ'd. Ball goes off the cliff. He can't turn in a scorecard with a nine-stroke lead in the second round of the U.S. Open. It's a great story. It's beautiful, and it's again. I, I don't want to harp on this too much. If you're a golfer of any sort, any skill level, it's a bucket list thing. Yeah. The people at Pebble Beach will treat you like gold. You don't have to be a tremendous golfer to have a great time there. I had a couple of moments of random competence, but it, it, you don't need to be Tiger Woods to enjoy yourself at Pebble Beach. It's an experience that if you can do, you should. 
Follow him on Twitter. Darren Zocali is at the track seven. Andrew Champagne is at Andrew Champagne. You hear him on here talking old wrestling rewatches each and every week. We've got our homework for next week. We're going to be talking 2010 Royal Rumble. Fellas, thank you very much. Hope you have a great opening week and weekend there at Saratoga. Good luck and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, Gino. Folks, do not go anywhere. We got a little bit left here on That's What G Said. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening, folks. Hope everybody has an awesome weekend. Make sure to support the sponsors of That's What G Said. Thrive Fantasy. Use the promo code Gino. Sarah Candles. Use that promo code Gino. Cindy Crava for all of your real estate needs. Don't forget about playing in the Stable Duel Contest on Friday and Saturday. And make sure to play uh, over at Pleasanton those Friday and Saturday pick fives. OldSmokeClothing.com. Use the promo code Gino. Make sure to, to subscribe. Download, rate, review, share the show with your friends all over the place. Have a great weekend, folks.